Hello, everybody, and welcome to Point of Origin, Episode 9, the show where we realize that Chris Hemsworth is never going to be able to fully live up to our expectations. <laughs> I mean, when you're at a young age and you see holographic Thor and all of his mightiness, nothing's ever just never quite the same. <laughs> I just want to say Michael Shanks or Chris Hemsworth who wore it better. Crap. <laughs> decisions. I'll have to ponder this. But I'll have to do some deep research. I'll have to take lots of pictures. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just I, I'm sure you're going to have to take pictures, uh, lots of pictures from the episode where Daniel comes back from Ascension. See, yeah, I know, right? I mean, although I do remember the con video where he was talking about, he's like, yes, it was cold. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we're outside. It's the morning. It's cold. It was cold. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, all, that's all I got. <laughs> I came up with a joke. I'm just proud of myself for that. Yeah. That's why I should have been the one doing the opening, but I'm like, well, you you came up with this one, so it's you I, this time. I feel a deep sense of pride when it's me that comes up with the joke for once. I think I've just accepted accepted at this point that we're not going to have any sort of like pattern with who does the intros. It's just going to be random. No one can ever guess. I just hope you guys know what our voices sound like. Or you just don't care and we're yeah, good to go. Like, who, who really cares? Who knows? Th- I mean, I know. Alyssa's are interchangeable, right? Ugh, God, it's still <laughs> weird. It's like every now and then my mother would call me that, I'd be like, blink, blink. Oh, that's right, you're talking to me, sorry. <laughs> well, it's like, um, my my friend who doesn't live here lives in Texas. She calls me Liss. Well, it's like the other day you said, um, Alyssa. Probably because you've just been talking about yeah. it. And... Eric didn't notice I get first. He and I both kind of looked over each other, but oh, that's right. She, that's my name. <laughs> like, yeah, we just like looking around it. like, me? <laughs> we both were just like, blink, blink, blink. It took no, us away too long. I was clearly long. talking to Eric. Yeah, there we go. With that in mind, I'm Mel. And I'm Liz. And neither of us go by Alyssa, apparently. No. This episode is titled... Thor's hammer, in mm-hmm. case it wasn't apparent by all the Chris Hemsworth jokes. I mean, you could have been talking about Men in Black International. Sure. I blew Eric's mind the other day when I reminded him that he uh, that Chris Hemsworth played Kirk's father in oh, yeah, the yeah. Star Trek. He, he was like, oh, that's right, I forgot. Yeah, he's there for like two three minutes. seconds. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was one of his first roles. Yeah, it was. It was like what got him noticed in America, yeah. really. Yeah. I think he might have already been established in Australia. Yeah. I don't know. But, that was what got him noticed in America. Which is funny, because it's like, wait, he got noticed for a three-minute roll? <laughs> he got noticed for dying. The kitty looks very unhappy. Yeah, this. well, she's going to walk into the mic otherwise, there so go. <laughs> she can deal with it. Okay, today's episode is Thor's Hammer. It's episode eight, according to my DVDs, right. anyway. Things it's like a little wookie still. It's like five or something on the online. I don't know. I, we're going by DVDs because we're watching on the DVDs. It'd be really weird to skip around otherwise. And so far, the DVD order has made a lot of sense. Yeah. No, we've established that over the last couple episodes. It's much more, um, what's that word? Realistic? <laughs> no. Uh, no, it's uh, the word where, like, you know, where everything's, um, fuck it. Cohesive? Kind of, yeah. It's just the story makes more sense. Like, everything flows into the next perfectly. Mm-hmm. Like, not efficient, but close. Sure. Okay, so, uh, episode 8, Thor's Hammer. The synopsis is, looking for allies against the Goa'uld, the SG-1 team lands on Samaria? It's Samaria, isn't it? Or is it Canaria? What? Let me see. Yeah, it's Samaria. Yeah, I was like, it's Samaria, right? It's been a while. Think uh, spirit, Stallion of the Cimarron. I've never seen it. How have you not seen... Come on, man. I was Matt busy, Damon voices a horse. I was busy watching Back to the Future for the 50th time. It's a movie that's terrific despite the excessive amount of uh, Brian Adams. Like, excessive amount of Brian Adams. They had him do, like, the whole soundtrack or oh, something. No. It's, it's not like it's bad, but you know how, like, every Brian Adams song is the same? Yeah. 
It's like that. that's why it sounds like yeah. oh god. But Matt Damon, years and years after I see it, the, like a million times over, I rewatched it and saw the credits. I was like, "You're fucking kidding me!" It's Matt Damon. How? What? Yeah, this in Titan A.E. I love Titan A.E. Right? Also Matt Damon. I think it's Matt Damon. Yeah, it's Matt Damon. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's Matt Damon. Yeah, it? yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Drew Barrymore. Oh, yep. and Nathan Lane plays the uh, alien. Oh god. There's a reason why that movie's so good. That's such a good movie, and it's so like underrated. But yeah, whatever led us to this. Uh, okay. <laughs> Uh, I'm just going to start over, because that wasn't even a full sentence that I read. Looking for allies against the Gwa'ul, the SG-1 team lands on Sumeria, home of the legendary Norse gods. Teal Pretty Kino- sure that's Asgard. Sorry. <laughs> Teal and O'Neill are transported to the underground labyrinth caves of the vicious creature Unas. Can Carter and Daniel rescue them? I love the Unas. Unas. I can't wait. They take a long time to bring the Unas back. That's not that surprising. Yeah, because it's not, honestly, it's not that important. Exactly. Like, it's cool, but it's it's not. It's just interesting that they brought it into Mm -hmm. season one and then looked back at their catalog like three seasons later and went, oh, hey, let's actually do something with this. You know, I really like, or find interesting anyway, is that based on the DVD order of episodes, I find it interesting or funny that they bring in the Unas before they ever. Before they even had time to bring back fucking Apophis. They haven't even brought him back yet True. as a big bad. You haven't even seen another gold yet. Like, you've seen, obviously, you know, Junior and, and Teal, but that's it. So they bring in the Unas before they even it bring back. It seems appropriate, though, doesn't I know, it? I just find it funny. You get the predecessor before the yeah. upstart, the you young go. upstart. Man, disc one had, like, fun synopsis. Disc two has been either boring or that middle schoolers uh, yeah. English incomplete sentences. Like this one, like was coherent but very straightforward. You don't always have to have nerves of steel. Exactly. <laughs> you don't always have to have cutesy uh, flavor text. I don't. I don't understand that flavor text. No, I, I don't understand how you can't. Oh. I'm not saying you can't. I said I'm just saying you don't have to. That doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> Sounds fake. Okay, well, in that case. I, I like the synopsis. It can, it's just... Yeah, it, it tells you exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, there's no laser firing death gliders or nerves of steel, so... I guess we're a little sad. Isn't there a death glider in this? Uh, Ten years of episodes, I, details blend. I also don't rewatch this episode a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the ones you just don't rewatch as much. There's either. like five or ten minutes with the whole interplay with Daniel and Teal that's mm-hmm. really important. Yeah. But everything else is incredibly forgettable. Yeah, it's not a filler episode per se, but it's also not not a filler episode, you know? <laughs> yeah, I do know because it's written by Catherine Powers. Yeah, I who, saw that. Uh, has a lot of nothing happening in all of our episodes. Yep. Troy, I see you just sneaking closer to the microphone. That's why I'm grabbing her. <laughs> I know, just like Sneak, sneak, you think you're sneaky and subtle, but you're not. You are not a ninja. But yeah, so, I mean, at least it's not as painful of an episode. And honestly, the Unos makes up for anything. Yeah. At least in my memory. <laughs> we'll find out when we rewatch it. We'll, we'll, we'll see. So let's go do that? Yeah, let's go watch it. I'm actually a little excited. So we're back. I'd like to actually issue an apology to Catherine Powers. You can write. <laughs> yeah, you just can't write women. Yeah. Or like women-focused episodes, I guess, quote-unquote. Because she wrote women in this. Yeah, that's why I had to say like women-focused yeah. Like, she can't do... She really subscribed to that false notion of 90s feminism. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. Her and my mother both. When she's not trying to push that sort of narrative, because there, like, there were some women issues in Rape Candle too, but oh, s- j- just a couple, yeah, <laughs> you know, whatever. But when when they're just characters in the background of a story, she's fine. In fact, there were some actually really freaking good lines, and one of my favorite basis for a future 
friendship and relationship formed in this episode. So, like, apologies, Catherine Powers. We just can't have you write women for women. You know what it is? I mean, I don't know if I'd give her too much credit. So basically, like, this is a theory. I, I don't... I wanna, Listen, I, I still blame her for emancipation. Right. I wouldn't say that my this this coming theory I'm about to say is... I'm 97% confident mm-hmm. in it. I think that... I could even think that she is a feminist. In that, in a perfect world where gender equality has been completely maintained, women and men, everybody would be confident and would be extremely, you know, upfront with their thoughts, attitudes, whatever, whatever, but not in a challenging way, mm-hmm. just in the, in whatever is no- normal or natural for them yeah. kind of way. So whenever she's writing episodes that are all female-centric and everything, she's extremely overcompensating. And then as a result, is subscribing to a lot of, uh, sexist stereotypes and everything well i'll argue that that's a lot of what 90s feminism was right. exactly but the thing is that you can see like where she is trying yeah especially in this one because hell the two like main uh humans on this planet they go to are women yeah that, like but their discourse oh, is yeah, normal no. and and what's, fine and, and the reason here's the thing here's the thing the reason why they don't get all annoying or her, her and her mm-hmm. bad tenant writing tendencies come through is because there's no men for them to be exactly. challenged by. Exactly. So I she's a, a good writer when she's not challenging herself. I wanted to point <laughs> out when you when you said that you know the the two main people they talk to on this planet are women. The only men they meet on this planet have no lines exactly. except to chant Thor. Right. There are no men involved in this mm-hmm. storyline, which is phenomenal. Yeah. And obviously, like if that's if that's what she needs to do, then then go for it. But even this, not portrayed in a, in a sexist light. No, like it seems completely natural. Because yeah. until you pointed it out, I didn't even think about the fact that yeah, there's no men with any real roles in this episode other than yeah. the main team. Yeah. What I love is um even when she uh, has a throwaway line that uh that main chick Gerwin, I guess when she has a throwaway line when she first comes up at why she's in charge. Oh she yeah, says, yeah. My husband's off a Viking. Yeah. So. She throws out there, in a historically accurate context, the reason why there's a woman in charge right now is because the husband's not there. Mm-hmm. Although Vikings actually did do that kind of thing. The women did rule with the men. It wasn't They, they weren't not sexist, but they were much better than the average. I also appreciate that because it actually sort of insinuates that there is something far beyond this gate. Yeah, exactly. Which, until he's now, <laughs> we can uh, assume that there's something yeah. beyond, like, the world, the, the town right next to the gate, but you don't see it. Right. You don't see any yeah. indication something of it. Something worth for him to uh, be go raiding on it. <laughs> it's kind of like, I'm Their gonna do a Ireland. really goofy example. It kind of makes me think of, like, the Kingdom Hearts worlds. Yeah. Where you're going to an entire world, and then you're like, when you land there, there's like a town that you're in. It's like, wait, is this the world? Is this one town? Okay. Why is it a whole planet? What is, what's going on, guys? That's what, that's what most of like the Stargate episodes feel like when they go through a gate. Because they don't go like a hundred yards past the gate, really. They stay near the gate. Yeah. Which makes sense for the plotline why on Earth they have to come they have to come back and report to the SGC on a set schedule. Why would they go fifty miles away or whatever, you know? Yeah, it's um well, another thing that I uh, enjoy about Stargate Atlantis. It's too bad it didn't last as long as um SG one because it would have been even better to you know, have explored. Nothing lasted as long as right? SG one. <laughs> um, but what I SG one probably could have used not being exactly two, like two it, more seasons. If it, if it had stayed at episode, at season eight, Atlantis would have only been three seasons shorter. So it wouldn't have seen as much of a disparity. Yeah. But instead, it's half the length, and so it feels like it's much. We anyway. wouldn't have gotten much Vala though. Right. Th- one thing I do like that. It's an improvement on what basically what you're saying uh-huh. is that Atlantis kind of learned from that a little because they have um, these uh, little, those little ships, the little shuttles called oh, uh, yeah, little jumpers, yeah, those. and those can go through the gates. So then they can actually travel exactly. far. So most of their storylines on other planets don't just involve one centralized That's location. Awesome. They tend to involve 
a much wider yeah. scope because of that. Atlantis, like I like I said, I haven't seen any of it yet because again, I won't see it until I've like no, actually sense. watched everything in order. Yeah, so um, in a couple of years. We'll but get Atlantis there. definitely feels to me like more of an adventure survival yeah. story. And your campy seventies themes, yeah, kind of feel like with, yeah. the, with the jolly good feel. So it makes sense that they'd actually go out, yeah. whereas SG One was really about making those um, those community connections. Yes, yeah. no, I, I mean I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I maintain that SG One was a perfect start. Last, last couple seasons glossed over. Well, it was, they it was suffered good... the same problem that Charm did when they defeated the Ultimate Evil, right. the first evil. Right, exactly. Once you get rid of your big bad, that's kind of the end It's of like, it. what do we do now? Uh, well, if you're what? a studio, you go for money. <laughs> but yeah, but what I mean, though, is their, their general tone for the show wasn't too somber, uh-huh. but it wasn't too campy or lighthearted. It was nice middle ground. Mm-hmm. SGA, definitely a lot more lighthearted. More campy. Um, and then SGU went... SGU went was... You could tell they were trying to kind of go back to the original feel. Mm-hmm. Not like not like just disre- not like they were trying to disregard Atlantis, but also not like they weren't trying yeah. to disregard Atlantis in terms of feel, because they had a lot of lighthearted moments. But that's what they were—they were moments mm-hmm. in the face of a much somber. So like, and I remember saying this a couple episodes ago. Is I'm still the only thing I don't like about Atlantis is that I feel like that's actually kind of what contributed to SGU's cancellation because people got used to this really lighthearted feel. And they were even for going back to like original roots, it went that and beyond because <laughs> hell, the first like four episodes in, there's a suicide. That's definitely not the kind of feel that no. SG-1 has. No, no, no. What I love about this right here is that it sets up everything that those later shows will have. Yeah. Everything that everything that's great about the later Stargate shows, everything they have, they owe to this kind of stuff mm-hmm. right here in the beginning. And so even with, you know, like going through a gate and you have one location. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, but the benefit of that is that in you later You focus stuff, on that story. Exactly, you can focus on that story. And in, in later uh, seasons slash spinoffs, they expand on. Yeah. It's a foundation. Mm-hmm. It is a good, solid foundation. It's everything a first season should be. And this episode is actually pretty representative. Like I said, I um so this episode is uh written by Catherine Powers. Which yeah, I, I take it back. I, I apologize. Yeah, and I apologize. I don't apologize for everything I said about no, 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 I don't take back what I said. I just apologize for my end results. Feeling thoughts, voices. Oh, dread for anything yeah. we saw her yeah. name. I don't know if we mentioned after we watched Emancipation, I actually went online and looked up to yeah. see how many other episodes she wrote and being like, oh God, there's so many in season one. And there was like dread there. But now, you know, I'm, I'm actually more, um, I, I, I don't want to jump the gun and say I'm looking forward to them. But I'm no yet, longer dreading. But I'm no longer dreading them. Yeah, it's like, oh, all right, let's see what happens. Yeah, like I'm pretty sure she wrote the Tolan one. You and know, honestly, it was another the one where they pushed the Sam, the yeah, the the Sam yeah. relationship thing. But other than that, it's a good episode. Yeah, honestly, I actually can respect that episode, even like with you know pushing the Sam thing because that guy you know, is pretty persistent. Uh, he's actually not creepy. Hmm. So no, their thing is cute. Cute kudos for having a but I just, a whole like persistent male who isn't being gross. no yeah like it's done well, but it's just a whole pattern of her also trying to rem- it's the whole hey remember Sam's right, a girl. Right. <laughs> But yeah, thankfully this episode doesn't have any of that crap. Yeah, so written by Catherine Powers and directed by Brad Turner. Yay. New face. But uh, we were actually pretty impressed with a lot of his shots, especially in the beginning. Oh, I love Brad Turner. Uh, his his name is very familiar to me. I, I don't know how many episodes he's directed in this show or if he directed in other, other ones, but I, I've seen his name enough to know that I like his work. Well, good. We have something to look forward to. Yeah. When I saw it was directed by him, I was like, oh, shit, okay. The thing with Stargate SG-1, at least, that I've noticed so far 
is that like even when we go oh that's a really good shot or oh that's a cool directing choice or whatever no there's no directing that's like overwhelming the narrative yeah it's not like we have Zack snyder involved here or anything Ugh. they know there's they no know how tone. much to pull back <laughs> and just let the story do it yeah and it, it, the sign of a good director is letting the actors do their thing too oh yeah for example so. mm-hmm. oh and you can already tell i love that how evident is it is from the first few episodes that like these these actors already have a really good handle on their characters oh yeah how they had a handle on their ability to act mm-hmm. like it's one thing when you have a, a cast that's led by your main moneymaker in this oh, case yeah. Richard and Anderson mm-hmm. um I've, I, I can't think of any examples right now but I know that there's other shows that had that basic idea of you know being led by this one big you know guy mm-hmm. person and the rest of the cast may or may not have had a lot of experience and so you can kind of tell like this disparity in acting yeah. ability this is not that no my case that you can tell they all have enough experience you know under their belts that they're all still they're, i mean obviously they're all really young still yeah you know, they're mm-hmm. not the beginning of their careers but not not even at the middle of their careers I mean, this no. was early career yeah. but not so early that they were kind of suffering yeah no no from the experience they know what they're doing mm-hmm. if there's anybody that's a weak link it's teal but that's only because he hasn't been given anything yeah. to do yet they've been treating him like a sidekick oh yeah for he's this season so he's far. wholeheartedly a side character so far i completely forgot um, his lackluster beginning on the show Shulock is coming up yeah it's in like three episodes or something and that's when we'll actually start seeing him as a, a real character <laughs> it's just surprising so far he's just like that a slightly off alien who asks weird questions about pop culture yeah Except I do think this episode even takes a, a step forward into making him a real part of the team. Oh, yeah. Because until this episode, he was really, he really only had a connection with Jack. I can help these people. You know, that bond Yeah, they is, formed that bond. That was instantaneous, and, like, and it was solid. Sam and Daniel seem cool with him being on the team, oh, yeah. but you don't really, other than that time that they were like, can we use your staff weapon? Other than that, like, they don't really interact with him. No. And even that, you know, staff weapon thing, that was children playing it was. at home in the backyard kind of feel, not like professional. And Tilk was the uh, preteen babysitter who doesn't know what to do. <laughs> this is, that was the day he learned. <laughs> that there's a reason that the fire department's number is on the fridge door. It's like, yeah, I guess it's, you know, for emergencies or for your average Wednesday. Either or, it's fine. All right, so we actually have a little bit of time limit, so let's uh, get going. We actually, um, for once, because it's been, we had a whole lot of cold opens on planets recently, but this one uh, starts out on SGC, and it's um, Daniel presenting uh, his theory about the idea of there being um, another race of aliens that's more benevolent than the gold. Basically, he cites um, myth in the fact that there's, like, what he refers to as two types of star gods, um, the tyrants. And the culture bearers. Which is a cool phrase, culture bearers. It is a really good phrase. It's on... That's an anthropology phrase right, right. there. <laughs> well, it makes sense, because even when civilization dies out, they leave behind yeah, remnants or pieces of themselves, time capsules, whatever the hell you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And that is what bears their culture now. Yeah. It's like, uh-huh, cool, nice. But yeah, so he basically has this theory that there might be another um, alien race out there that could be potential allies against the world. And he suggests that a good lead for this is um, the Norse gods. Which I couldn't help but point out again and again and again and again. It's just really funny to me that I'm looking at this episode now through the lens of today, which is that all these Marvel movies yep. have come out. This was before any mm-hmm. of that. There wasn't even an inkling of that. Hell, Iron Man, the first movie in that whole franchise, didn't start. It didn't come out for until like 2008. Another, yeah, like, so like 10, 10, years, 10 years from now. 11 years. It's a long ways out. So 
this stuff was all not that back then no one knew about you know the, the Norse myths or anything like that. But they weren't talked about a lot. Oh hell no, they they were. I remember. Like, I remember. Being, I knew what Daniel was talking yeah. about because I was a myth nerd. Right. Like I was. I remember getting. I remember getting called nasty little nerd names mm-hmm. because I was because I knew who Tuvok was and because I <laughs> liked old yeah you know all those old Viking myths. So I think it's really cool seeing all these all these Thor you know things like that and hearing them pronounce shit wrong <laughs> <laughs> the hammer yeah and it was just it's fun it was fun seeing everything through the old lens because today if this episode had come out if, if this kind of thing had come out today people would think it was a cash grab yeah you know like hey look 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 we have a different take on what marvel did and mm-hmm. this is nope and it wasn't even that marvel had a different take on this thing it was just they had a thing and they took old stuff that at the time no one really cared about and they made it relevant yep as a history person back then and and now it makes me really happy when shows yeah. do that i really love that they looked at the, they, they looked at the shell of the plot of the movie uh an alien pretends to be the sun god ra and then they were like okay the gold they're pretending to be a lot of gods and then they're like well why can't there be other why wouldn't there be other alien right. species out there and why wouldn't our people also think that they were gods. Oh, yeah. Hell, a couple episodes, a human pretended to be a god. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's kind of second nature for beings of power in the face of beings with not any power yeah. to take on, whether it's benevolent or malevolent, to take on a uh, governing-type body mm-hmm. thing. It's just, well, look at these poor primitive souls. We have to guide them. That's white savior complex oh, yeah. in a nutshell. Gray savior people, complex. People who have more. Little gray men. Yeah, there we go. People <laughs> who have more see people who have less, or what they consider to be mm-hmm. less, and decide, you know what? We're gonna help them. Now, in the case of the Asgard, they actually did kind of help in the sense that they protected these people. Yeah. And they didn't really interfere. They had, like, a prime director type yeah. feel. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Which is nice. Like, mm-hmm. Yes, this Asgard is the, this had is the a prime director version feel. of a, a, a people of power mm-hmm. overlooking a people of less. Yeah. That's the best possible version of that that could happen. Well, it helps that they, like, they did their thing and then they left. Exactly. Yeah, they just, you know, it's, it's fine. It's great. But it makes sense that there'd be other you know, aliens that would do that. Yeah. Um. So when Daniel's outlining, uh, he, fo- he focuses when he's explaining about the Asgard um, gods and everything, uh, he focuses on Thor and his hammer and everything. Yeah, there's like six different shots um, of Mjolnir. Specifically because, oh yeah, I love the one they focus on where it's actually showing an attack and yeah, it's like this streak so cool, of right? light yeah, behind it. the flash. Which they show that because he makes a comment about the hammer and says that uh, that it, like, directed lightning or whatever, and he's like, this could be an energy weapon. And while he's talking about this, Teal goes, I recognize that symbol. And then he's, uh, he basically explains that there was a planet that they were all warned not to go to because it was dangerous, called Sumerian. Sumeria. Sumeria, yeah. I was thinking of the Cimarron, Sumerians. Yeah. <laughs> also, the Sumerian. Yeah. I, I did kind of put that N in your head. Yeah. And so he knows the gate, the, the address, and they're like, well, cool. Let's try this out. I like how they, he points out that every uh, Tva is taught that, se- that series of symbols, so that so they no know gold not gold to go there. It's like, all right, all right, I'll take it. It's funny how Some often they fall. There. It's it's funny how often they fall back on. Oh, we were told never to go here. Or, um, oh, this is a Jaffa symbol that says this place is dangerous. Or like they do that a lot. Like I'm thinking of the. Um, the mirror episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, gotta, you gotta throw in some basic doom and gloom there. I know you're gonna delete this. I was thinking about how, with the mirror episode, how there was, like, the alternate take where they didn't have Teal yep. on their team. For a minute, I forgot that that 
actually happened to the mirror world, and I thought I'd read it in a fanfic. <laughs> so wow. that's why I'm like, you're gonna delete this part. And I was like, no, right I, I, now. Might, I might keep your shame in there. <laughs> I, I already admitted to the Area 52 fanfiction archive. I don't know what else you can do to me. I can, I can hammer the point home. <laughs> I'm sorry, I was really distracted. What the fuck is my cat doing? <laughs> She's getting heat from two yeah, sources. She looks like, like I know we joke about her looking like roadkill. She looks like fucking roadkill. Oh, right that's now. exactly what roadkill looks like stiff, on the road. Like, yes. <laughs> like I just oh, this cat has no shame. Anyway, uh, so they're all gearing up to go to this uh, planet that Teal has the address for. Daniel is stupidly excited well, to be meeting a new alien race. Plus, I when they bring in that you know greeting box, yeah. I, I was like, okay, yeah, he's cute about it. And then I was looking at the trivia for it. It's actually called a Sagan Institute box. Carl Sagan designed it. He created it with the idea that someday when we make first contact with another species, this would be the greeting that we'd give them. And it's like, it was one thing that was in the show. I didn't know that Sagan had done that. I didn't know it was a real fucking thing. I just, and I love Sagan. So I'm a little ashamed of myself for not knowing that. How dare you. Right? But it, that was just, that instantly brought me into Daniel's headspace there. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, you 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 nerd out. You do it on all behalf of all of us. But I love that he's like actually like, giddy. Like he yeah, goes up to the gate when the gate is still in the process of dialing, which is like, I hope someone pulled him back. I hope someone pulled that so, mouth off. Right? <laughs> the mouth like, was just left there. Plume, right? <laughs> it's like whoever it's like some, you know, intern put it there. It's like, well you're fired. Oh I know. <laughs> That's a how many millions of dollars God. piece of equipment you just destroyed. But Although I, love- I like how they're dialing already, too. Uh, yeah. So anybody who had anything to do with the dialing process was looking out that window, saw that mouth, and, and did nothing. And walking up to yeah. the game. And did nothing. Like, you know, Chevron 3 encoded. Hey, somebody want to move that mouth? Chevron 4 encoded. Like, anything. But I love that while Daniel runs up to the gate like an eager little school child, yeah. Hammond just gives Jack this look and, like, <laughs> Have fun. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. It's like, well, he's your problem. Jack's just like staring after Daniel, like, why? <laughs> it's the look a parent gives the other parent. It's like, right now, it's your kid. Yeah. It's like, that, that's all you. That's, that's you. That's your problem. Have that's fun. your kid right now. Before Moss, yes. before Dawn is your son. I was son. <laughs> literally thinking about that. I'm surprised that there were more Star I, like I know he's saying for Star Wars, but I'm surprised there were more Star Wars meta jokes. All two of them, whatever. Yeah. I'm surprised there weren't. There weren't any Lion King ones that I noticed. Yeah. I was surprised by that. Well, when was Lion King? Wasn't it in the 90s? Yeah, it was like 94 or something. Pretty sure it was 94. I don't know why 94 sounds so strong to me, but I feel like it was 94. I don't know. I went and saw it in the theaters, so... I went and saw it. My parents... Yeah, I was just gonna say, how old were you? <laughs> yeah, 94. Alright. I guess it just wasn't... I mean, because Star Too Wars stars, started in like... The 80s or 70s. something? 70s. 70, like 77, I so think. So it, it was much longer a part of oh, yeah. culture. No, I'm not against the Whereas, Star Wars references. Well, I'm just, just saying surprised. That, like, that's probably why there were Star Wars references, right. but not Lion King. Because it's like, it was... Plus, I just I would have loved it if they threw out It one. makes way more sense for Star Wars to coincide with Stargate than it does Disney. Oh. Again, it makes sense. Yeah. I just I would have killed for like a single one. Mm-hmm. Realized that we haven't actually mentioned this yet. The reason why we're bringing any of this up is uh, James, James Earl Jones, Jones is in this, which mm-hmm. if that wasn't proof that this show started on Showtime, I don't know what is. Well, his voice is in this. <laughs> I mean, come on. His voice is in Star Wars. His voice is in Lion King. Yeah. <laughs> all the things we're mentioning, his voice is in there. That's all you need, right? But I saw, I, I came up with a guest star. I was like, you fucking kidding me? And I was like, you forgot? I didn't know to begin with. I'm pretty sure first time I saw this episode, I was young enough to not know who the fuck James Earl Jones was. But we rewatched it in like, the last two years yeah, together. I remember how we were talking over a lot of details? 
I was probably talking to you or somebody when that guest starring shit came up. But yeah, so they dial through, uh, and then we get um, a cut to the world that they're dialing through to. Cool There's some really good setting shots. Like, they have one where it's um, the overhead crane thing of this uh, tower statue thing that's yeah, right across. Yeah, it the base and just Yeah, goes it goes up, up it, and then... And then winds up above everything. Yeah. And then you see all the people around it and the gate. And, and the then and then it thing. cuts to, like, a single corner of the gate. And that's the chevron that lights up. That was it's really cool. cool. That was cool. That was a cool I shot. Liked yeah. That. Yeah, I liked that. that. I honestly think I liked that more than the crane oh, no. shot. No, the crane shot was cool. That shot, though. That was so cool. Because it just took up all of the screen. A tiny little corner of the gate took up all of the screen. And then, choom. <laughs> it was cool. Uh, so, they come through. All of the freaking locals, who are all men. Yeah, like all the farmer types. Yeah. <laughs> all the locals just, like, point at them and start laughing. Which is definitely a new take. I know! I was like, what? What? I, I'm guessing they're laughing because they all, they just assume those were all gold. Yeah, and that they're about to Yeah, get... like, ha, dinner and show, guys. Yeah, because then they start laughing, and then they start chanting, Thor, 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 Thor. Chris Hemsworth, Chris Hemsworth. And then um, the tower that's across from the gate starts, like, this high-pitched yeah, whine. Yeah, like, powering up. The, ver- the very obvious powering up sound. Which is enough for Jack to be like, uh, nope, we're turning back around and going home. Which is a, which is a good response. Yeah, because it sounds like a weapon. Right? And for I, good I like reason. Focus on was that um, it was clearly a repurposed uh, death glider sound. I'm not against it or anything. I just, I like it when they recite shit. It's interesting. As long as, you, as long as you change it up enough. Yeah, and they did like a sort of like undertone exactly, to it. Exactly. Yeah, they added that hum that the a transporter would yeah. have. Oh yeah, absolutely. Before Daniel can, well, Daniel starts to move over to the VHD to start dialing. <laughs> I love it when Jackson and Daniel goes, "Why?" It's like I don't know, <laughs> Daniel. Why do you think? Because he's only been to five planets and he doesn't understand. Daniel's danger the sense. guy who would look at a ticking time bomb and look at that going. Like, see the numbers counting down and like, okay, Daniel's gonna go. Why? Daniel's the just guy. <laughs> Daniel is the guy who got dropped into a prison and didn't think to worry about himself. He's the dumbest smart guy that ever was. Yeah, Daniel goes to dial, uh, but before he can even really put anything in, a light comes out from the tower and starts scanning. Looks like it's scanning Daniel in very 1997 CGI oh God, fashion. It's so bad. I'm just glad that wasn't residual image from it, honestly. Fair, yeah. Because like when there's a when it hits Sam's face. There's the absence of it behind her face, right? You know, where she's blocking yeah. it. You could kind of see some residual there, but it wasn't as bad as it could have been. That was more like CGI residual, uh-huh. unless like when Jack was walking in front of oh, the uh, God, gold that sand. And I like it, my whole body was rejecting every moment of that. Yeah, um, it was bad. But it was, it was bad, but it wasn't quite that bad. But yeah, again, it's 1997, so yeah, it's really not that terrible. Mm-hmm. And then it moves on to Sam. And then it moves on to Jack. And then it moves on to Teal'c. And, and suddenly homes in on his stomach. And I like how it does this kind of like uh, metal detector thing. Yeah, just, where it like speeds up a little bit when it goes there. It's funny. <laughs> it's like, I can see it. <laughs> it's like when a kid finds something and starts poking it like obsessively. Just yeah. I did enjoy that. And Teal'c's like, oh god. Not Teal'c. Well, Teal'c's also like, ugh. Teal'c is not happy, but. Yeah. It hurts, clearly. Jack's like trying to figure out what to do to help him or whatever. I like how he shouts, get out of there. It's like, he's paralyzed with pain, man. <laughs> like, he's clearly frozen. <laughs> and Jack finally decides, okay, I'm gonna like try and tackle him out of there. Just in time for the beam to pull them away somewhere. It envelop them. I kind of, I mean, granted, I mean, it's, we have a lot of experience, like a fuck ton of experience with sci-fi, but even with all of our experience with sci-fi and seeing like, you know, transporters versus like disintegration mm-hmm. or whatever, it's 
pretty apparent from how the CGI was pulled out, how they crafted that. Yeah. That it wasn't a killed bean. Mm-hmm. It was clearly transported. Yeah. Because the, they didn't disappear, didn't vanish so much as they were kind of like scooped up. Yeah. It had that feel of a scoop. Oh, yeah. Well, because they almost like... Like snatch. They didn't... <laughs> it wasn't... It wasn't like an actual trans full translation, but when when they disappeared, it almost looked like they traveled up the light toward yeah exactly the exactly like, like a statue grab yeah. yeah like a like a so yeah it absolutely looks like a transport. Um, Daniel still thinks they're dead, but I couldn't. I, I know I love how Daniel's just like oh fuck they're fucked. It's like chill. Well, he's take a moment. <laughs> he's clearly upset. His dad just I, got he's taken. So teary eyed. My Jack. My Jack. He's teary eyed this oh whole God. episode. <laughs> I only got there was Titanic vibes. Jack, come back. Come back. I'll never let go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. He's all teary eyed. And honestly, I like Sam's reaction better, but I still hate that. that I don't want to hear that. Cliche line that when people say they're dead. And the person goes, I don't want to hear that. I'm like, okay, cool. Well, do you want to hear the truth? <laughs> yeah. I mean,. I understand you don't want to hear that, but there's a better way of saying, I don't believe that. Hell, the line, I don't believe that, yeah. is better than, I don't want to hear Absolutely. that. Absolutely. 100%. It's a dumb line. And I would, I would be upset with, like, you know, powers for writing that if that weren't something I've heard a million times over in a million different shows. Yeah. It's just, I don't get why that's a go-to for people. I don't know. Not only does it not make sense, it's just dumb. <laughs> it's like, okay, cool, so you don't want to have any reason or logic. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, you, well go over, you go over there in the corner with the crying person. I'll go over here and be, you know, useful. She uh, keeps up that pattern later on in the yeah, episode. Yeah, it's weird. Maybe I just don't like when Catherine Powers writes Sam. Well, honestly, I don't feel like anyone's giving her the dialogue respect she deserves yet. First Commandment was pretty Yeah, but decent. even then, that was still her being more, like, challenging of the ex. Yeah. Well, I'm, but they gave her that chance, right. which is important. Right. I just I will argue that they don't later. know who she is as a character exactly, yet. Exactly. She, and, and honestly, which actually shows because like Jack and Daniel existed before this show. Mm-hmm. Granted, they completely reinvented Jack, but Richard Dean, Richard Dean Anderson has that presence to command that mm-hmm. change yeah. quickly. Yeah. Sam and Teal are completely new entities in this world, and also so Teal's sort of sidekick. So I mean, he's not that belt yet. So of course the writers don't know these characters yeah, yeah, yet. Sense, yeah. So I guess it makes sense. Doesn't make it. Uh, I, I, doesn't make me they'll, like it. They'll get better. <laughs> they'll be better. Like but then the the leader of the the town rides down uh, and does the whole Star Wars reference. Yeah, I didn't catch it at first. It wasn't until I was looking at the trivia because the line stood out, but it didn't click. She you know gets off the horse and goes, "You guys are you look a little short to." For uh, gods. And of course, that's Leia's line to Luke when short he. Short for Stormtrooper. Yeah, when he rescues her. You're a little short for a Stormtrooper, aren't you? And then he pulls out. He's like, No, I'm trying to rescue you. My name is Luke Skywalker, and I'm here to rescue you. <laughs> God, i been really hysterical if, if one of them had been like, My name is this, and we're here to help or some stupid shit. Like Jesus. That. Then she recognizes that they're all humans um, and co- calls the golds Ettens. I like how it takes five full minutes of them saying, We don't have any gold in us for her to finally for the for her to say the line oh so you're humans i'm like yeah <laughs> well i mean she did see one of their team get no, taken no, no i know but after that they've established that they weren't gold she agrees okay okay, okay cool well we can talk we can you know mm-hmm. we can be friendly uh-huh all right okay so you're definitely not cool okay oh so you're humans <laughs> i mean took, it, i just thought it was funny no it's it, it it is funny but i i think it also makes a lot of sense when you consider that, um, well, I mean, you have to make an assumption here, but there's no reason not to. After the, um, the revolution on Earth, the gold didn't go back to Earth. <gasps> so it's basically a closed-off planet. Mm-hmm. There's no reason to not to believe that 
other races <laughs> also knew about this. So it would be weird to come across yeah. an actual Earth human. Yeah, I do find it uh, in pretty indicative in a good way of uh, what will become a lot more apparent later between um, gold controlled plants versus Asgard mm-hmm. controlled plants because on gold plants you hear the phrase that Tilkas used a lot, which is Tauri. On this one, she says humans. Yeah, because they know. They don't use the gold words. Yep. No, it's good. Yeah, it's little things, man. Oh, I know. That's like the first time they've actually been called humans, humans yeah. by anybody. Yeah, yeah for, for a second I was going to complain, saying, like, yeah, it's weird that she said human, not Tauri. And then I was like, no, actually, it makes more sense if you yep. think about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Nice. Subtle shit there. I like Yeah. It. No, it's good. It's good detail. Because even when you think about the fact that in, like, um, Norse mythology and everything, there was that clear distinction between, like, Asgard and Midgard. So, like, Asgard knows Earth. Yeah. That's terrific. I love it. Yeah. So, they basically had a talk where they explained, hey, that (laughs) guy that's on our team that is a Jaffa, he doesn't work for the gold. He's a friend. Could you give him back? Uh, And she's like, well, I don't know what happened to him. They're not dead. They can come back. But, I mean... your friend with the gold yeah. isn't going to come yeah, back yeah, with yeah. a gold. Yeah, no, they'll be snakeless. And she's like, well, I don't know what happens to them. There's one person um, in our town that did have this experience happen, and she might be able to give you more information. So they go and find Kendra, who lives on the outskirts like a witch. I like how they uh, can point out that she's you know not of that planet, because she's also the only one of color. Oh, yeah. Which, they don't do it in, like, an annoying, like, racist kind of no. way. It's more like a, hey, this, yeah. is a, this is a Norse, you know, culture. They're all going to be, like, Norwegian type. They're all going to be pretty mm-hmm. damn white. It makes sense that the only person of color would be from a different location. Yeah, what I, what's actually really cool is that they never even say yeah. it. It's just a visual clue. Exactly. So I appreciate that. Yeah. If they had said it at any point in time, it would have been annoying or even awful. Mm-hmm. But because it was just a visual clue of, yeah, she doesn't look like anyone else here. Because she's not from this planet. Also, uh, that's her, acceptable. Her manner of dress is slightly different too. Oh yeah, she's Garawin, got a more Victorian. Yeah, she, well, not Victorian. Uh, medieval, medieval. Yeah, era. yeah, that's that's yeah, what I like, meant. Why did I say Victorian? I meant medieval. Yeah, because like the velvet dress. Yeah, exactly. It was like the long ass yep. sleeves. Like I was expecting Guinevere to come out. Oh point. yeah, <laughs> but it was just kind of cool little marked differences. Yeah, it was nice. Mm-hmm. But I love how like she's clearly coded as like a witch for this town right because she lives on the outskirts right. people don't really come to see her unless they you need, need like healing or something yeah, no problem running away all terrified unless uh-huh. you just help them yeah because they come up just as she's um using a gold device to heal a boy's like broken broken wrist, wrist. which was bound with a simple piece of tied oh god fabric i was like what, even what for a splinted wrist yeah even for a splinted wrist i've seen some pretty shitty bindings of, you of still splinted have wrist. something yeah, exactly stiff. like you're telling me this kid or somebody bound his wrist but literally didn't even bind it they just what a piece of cloth is a bandage they gotta bother they have a healing witch nearby was his wrist splint uh, uh bleh, was his fractured. wrist fractured or was it cut pick one <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Why do you even bother, honestly? Right. You could have just left that arm bare, and that would have made well, more sense. They had the bandage on to give you an indication of where the injury was. But they wanted you to have that visual <laughs> Yes, clip. but it was poorly executed. It was. No, I'm not disagreeing with you on that, but I'm saying that's why they had the bandage yeah. there. Oh, well. Oh, yeah, Daniel freaks out for a little second, though. Well, Sam does, too. Like, yeah. she she cocks her gun. She's right. like, well, he's the way he screams, no. Yeah. He's the guy who has had one Well, he's had face. one, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's the only one on that team who's been attacked by one so yeah. far, and it sucked. Yeah. I, I don't blame him nope. for shouting no. Nope. And again, I appreciate the attention to previous canon, because that is from the movie that he got attacked by one of those hand weapons. That is not from the show. They referenced 
like, again, wordlessly, they didn't, like, say, I've been attacked by one of those before. But the fact that he had that sort of reaction to a hand weapon Mm -hmm. when nobody on the team has been attacked by hand weapons yet. No, I love it. really good. I love how much season one pays attention to the movie. Oh, hell yeah. But I also love that is it I just realized it set up something really cool because I, I mentioned it when we were watching yeah. it, is that it was awesome that the hand device usage is the first um, sign that something of, is left behind. Yeah, that, that, when a gold leaves behind the, uh, the host body, Nakwa is left in the system yeah. in their body. That's how they're able to operate the you know, devices. Mm-hmm. I just realized though that you know she uses like a weird prayer or whatever yeah. when she's doing it. It's a great way of, uh, of um, quote, quote unquote dismissing it because later she uses a spell yeah. in the caves. So they don't think anything of no. the prayer, and they don't think anything of the fact of why she's able to use it. They don't point out that she's able to use something that no one else should. Mm-hmm. If anyone else had tried and had used a prayer, it wouldn't yeah. have worked. But they don't do that, but they explain it away really well in a subtle, non-exposited yeah. way with this little prayer thing. I just realized that was actually really well done. Yeah, absolutely. It was good. And I love the fact that they've already introduced the, uh, again, without actually going into the details of it, the fact that there is the existence of gold healing hand yep. devices. Which, which makes sense. Will will come back as an actual thing later. But it's just, it's dropped into the episode. Other than her being like, I wasn't hurting someone, they don't really talk about yeah, it. Yeah, it is a little interesting to me that they completely dismiss the... It's a detail that gets washed aside because it's not important to that episode. So that part makes sense. Yeah. But it is a little interesting that they completely overlook this thing. Like, oh, this changes everything <laughs> that we know about gold hand technology. To be fair, do they have any idea of how injured that kid was? <laughs> Right, it it, it 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 doesn't not make sense, but it is a little funny that you see this, yeah. get astonished well, by it, and then just move on. My argument would be they're very distracted right now. Oh no, it, like I said, it makes sense for the storyline. It just amuses me. Anyway, uh, so they're uh, talking with her basically to tell them about their problem, about how they need to find their friends and everything. And in their conversation with um, Kendra, they find out that the gold can be removed from the host safely. Yes. Daniel, obviously, has a lot of questions. Right. Did it hurt? You know, how conscious were you? Blah, blah, she's blah. not comfortable reliving it, but she's answering the questions yeah. you know, fairly well. A little yeah. pissy about it. I will say, overall, I feel like this actress was a not little great actress. Yeah, no, she was not great. She wasn't bad. She just was a little, um, maybe, and maybe it was actually a conscious choice to have her like that, be a little melodramatic, because honestly, who among us, if we survived having somebody take over our brain and get expelled, wouldn't it be a little quirky? Yeah. And wouldn't it be a little melodramatic, you know? Yeah, like, I hey, felt... fuck you, I had a snake in my head. I felt <laughs> like the melodrama was um, a choice. Yeah. But I, there's still, like... The question of whether it was the right one? Yeah. <laughs> or even, like, you can have it be melodramatic without it being, like, corny. Oh, yeah. Well, and there were instances where it was corny. Yeah, Although I like do love... she wasn't love, a great actress. I do love the tone in her voice when she yells at the, the sky later. Did I ask, ask for your counsel? Oh, it was good. I love that. I felt like that was the actress coming through right yeah, that, there. That's a recalcitrant child being like, yeah. did I ask your opinion, Mom? <laughs> but yeah, so basically they're like, hey, we need to um, find them. And she doesn't. She's, like, she's really resistant. She's got understandably, an issue with the Jaffa. A little bit of a PTSD uh, thing. She, there, has, you know, she basically says, like, hey, he deserves it, whatever happens to him. And they're trying to be like, no, no, he's our friend. He rebelled against the quote-unquote gods, all this stuff. And she's being really resistant to That's it. It's like people who try to point out that, like, it's like, 
I know that not all members of the Nazi party were bad. I know a lot of them yeah. joined to survive. But they're still but Nazis. That yeah, exactly. That, that, that doesn't negate all the terrible things that were occurred at the hands of Nazis. So you see, you hear somebody's a Nazi, your first thought isn't going to be, oh, maybe they're misunderstood. <laughs> your first thought's going to be, oh, it's a Nazi. No, it's, it's completely and fair. And somebody, people you don't know harping on and on about how, no, they're good. They've done all these things. Like, yeah, great. I don't know you, I don't know this Nazi you're speaking of, but I have known tons of other Nazis, and I just, I gotta say, I'm not comfortable with them. <laughs> it had that feel, yeah, and I liked no, that. Absolutely. That was very believable. But I do love that in her trying to be resistant to them, like, you hear some thunderings, and, and like, it's distinctly not storming out, yeah. but there's, like, distant thundering, and she, like, gets up from the table that she was sitting at with them, and, like, strides dramatically outward and goes, did I ask for your counsel? I like how she throws her arms yes. back down and back, you know, she's, like, swooped up to this guy face up. I like, will also oh. say, maybe her cause for drama is the backstory she gives where she was raised in a temple. Yeah, no, that would do it. I mean, if you're raised to speak to the gods yeah. in a way, you're going to have a flamboyant way yeah. of speaking. I'm wondering if that's why she's the way she is, but she's interesting. But basically, she goes, Thor wants me to show you, fine, I'll do it. The Valkyries ride the, the yes. wind and they tell oh, me God. that I need to help. It's like, that's called your conscience, but okay. And, and then Daniel actually like offers like a little wave yes. at the sky, like, thanks, guys. Yeah, at first we're just like, why is he waving? And it's like, oh my God, he's waving to the Valkyries, isn't he? Because she's looking at them when she says her thing. And Sam, of course, has her Sam look of like, which honestly would be my look. Yeah. Be, I'm like, uh-huh. Like, literally, literally, I said to the TV, I was like, that's called your conscience. Yeah. That's telling you to do the right thing here. But, but okay, we'll call it the Valkyries. And then Daniel... Whereas my first respectful. thought was, Daniel, are you raising your hand? Do you have a question? And then it's like, oh my god, he's waving to the Valkyries. Like, thanks, guys. It's like a little awkward wave. Like, no one's around to watch me and mock me for this. Well, so. he didn't even bring his hand up. It was, like, tight yeah, to his just chest. Like, like, the Valkyries will see it. <laughs> thanks. I do love that when they were sitting at the table, though, they all got served, like, food and drink. Uh And you could distinctly see Sam sniff her cup. Well, because it looks like wine. It's that moment of, like... (laughs) Well, I just love that, like, in most of the episodes when they're offered food or drink from... One of the the races. We all do. We, we, we all do that whole curious, like little. Hmm, well, what is this? What thing? I like is that the rest of the team is always like sniffs it or looks at it, and Daniel always just takes it and imbibes. He's like, "Thanks, guys." It's even better that she sniffed it. Other than they were just on a, candle, right, they were just gonna say they were just on a planet where the food kind of came back to bite True. them a little. So Sam's reaction is even more applicable. Sam and Daniel's is more just Daniel. Well, Daniel's doing We've the anthropologist seen, thing. But the anthropologist thing might have got him roofied for all he knew. Well, she didn't say it was just for him. Gross. Yeah, you're right. But it just it does amuse me that he hasn't learned any lessons no. at all. Ever. Daniel doesn't learn any lessons until like season seven. Uh, he's definitely more of that. He hasn't learned since beaten into him a few times yeah. kind of guy. But yeah, so they... Uh, she agrees to lead them. The Valkyries convinced her. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Jack and Teal wake up in a cave. Teal confirms that gold in his stomach that Jack calls Junior, Junior is in pain. And Jack does this kind of, oh, sorry to hear that. You can tell that he's not sorry that the gold's in pain. He's just sorry that Teal's in pain. That it's affecting Teal. Yeah, exactly. It's like yeah, a, it's a really good delivery yeah. from Richard D. Anderson. Yeah, it's, it's something about the way he delivers. It's just perfect. Well, because he's just tell. a really experienced right? no, it's, actor. It's, it's, he knows what he's doing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really well done. It's those little things that uh, speak of the most talent, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they walk up, and there's a, uh, a 
Thor appears in front yeah. of them and starts talking. In Michael Shanks' voice. <laughs> no, not that one. Yeah, he voiced this one too. That one too? Yeah, he voiced this one oh. too. Yeah. I just know I that think the that's little why, one later. Is that why, why they had to do ones. the little one later? Yeah, I honestly think it's why. That's hilarious. Yeah. Why did they have Michael Shanks do it? Did they just run out of people to do voices? Maybe, maybe he was like, hey guys, look, I can make my voice sound very different. <laughs> Is Michael Shanks a secret Norse mythology geek? <laughs> I don't know. It's I, I've never seen anything about it. So. I don't know. It's just, like, I knew he did Grey Alien. Yeah, Thor, you know, yeah according but... to the trivia, he uh, okay. voiced this one, too. Yeah, because I, I, I thought it was, I was like, oh, Grey Alien doesn't show up in this one at all. Yeah. But yeah, it, it quickly becomes clear while they're, like, listening to this Thor explain things that it's a hologram right. and it's a recording. Like, Jack tries to, like, reason with it. Like, hey, uh. This guy's good, he's not with the gold, blah, blah, blah. And it does not respond. There's clearly, like, it's a recording. Yeah. Like, Jack, like, waves his gun through the hologram. Yeah. And then, for good measure, waves his arm through the hologram. And and what I pointed out at the time was, when he's speaking, he's like, you know, this is a planet that is deemed under Asgard. Under its protection. Yeah, under under protection, um... To provide for se- the evolution of sentient, sentient life, life. Which, first off, ugh, I hate it when people misquote that. Yeah. It's sapient, not sentient. Sentient is like a deer. Yeah. Sapient is a person. But whatever. I'll get over that. But the way he delivers it, and then he like, like provides like a coordinate system almost. Yes, he does. You can tell right away that this is an alien mm-hmm. speaking. Even though it looks like a person, human, it's definitely an alien because that's not how people talk. No. <laughs> like, maybe how they talk, but it's definitely not how, like, this god, like, creature would talk you know they'd be it would be much more living up to that godlike hype yeah know, absolutely verbal communication so i just i was like yeah hey, i never noticed that they really uh go for it speaking of foundations you know they really mm-hmm. set that up in the beginning that it was obvious what a farce yeah it was but in a good way i also love that uh jack turns around and just tells teal i think we got the answering machine <laughs> how right you are it's like did anyone tell teal what an answering machine is yet well, I'm I'm guessing maybe because apparently they've talked to him about weird shit since he knows later on knows what a vampire is. Vampire. Vampire. I mean, if he knows what a vampire is, maybe I just assume that Jack showed him Buffy. I mean, that could happen. Didn't Buffy start in like episode? True. <laughs> They're watching it as it airs. <laughs> this is new show out. You'll like it. God, that would be amazing. They meet up like ever. I don't know when Buffy aired, but like Fridays. Let's say they meet up every Friday night to watch Buffy. That would be phenomenal. Someone write that fan fiction for me. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, no. It's funny because Jack's ready to leave once he figures out a, an yeah. answering machine. And so it's like, maybe we should wait for the rest like, of the message. It's still espousing information, dude. <laughs> Which was smart because they learn from this message that only the host can leave. So if, if Teal tries to leave, the gold in his stomach will die. Which... For Jaffa, will also kill Teal. Right, like that's literally his immune because system. Because that's right his there. immune system. So cool. Yeah, I like how they uh they the Asgard went to the effort, put the effort in to create something that kills gold without killing the people who have nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. You know, doesn't doesn't hurt the humans who are taken over. But they don't give a fuck about the Jaffa. Well, I mean, they don't know to be fair to them, they don't know that there's a rebellious force of Jaffa. Here's the thing though, most humans there's a there's definitely established there that a lot of humans are raised on these gold planets fully believing the whole god hype mm-hmm. so there's tons of humans that probably didn't mind becoming hosts but probably because they're like an honor or whatever so they take that into account in the sense that they don't punish those humans mm-hmm. but they punish the Jaffa who are literally bred for this have no say in the matter believe something they're taught their entire life a rhetoric they have no 
like, yeah, they can question it, but it's not exactly first nature for a lot of people to uh, question things. And I'm not saying that they're, I came, and I, can, I of course, I'm not providing a better way of yeah. dealing with the gold and the Trafalgar stomach. I'm just pointing out that it's a little annoying to me that the Asgard, it's, it's more, I guess it actually falls more into that whole little arrogance thing. It's like, yeah. save the host, but fuck the soldiers. I was about to say, I was about to say, you're making this whole argument with the assumption that the Asgard are infallible. No, not they're really. not. Like, we, like, they're much more preferable to the gold, obviously. But there are some issues with the Asgard, too. Like, all of these higher alien races, there are some issues with oh, yeah. them. No, they're very Even capable the Nox, of picking and choosing and when to care. And I love the Nox. Yeah. But they, pick and, they, they especially pick oh, and choose yeah. when to care. And I love the Nox, but yeah. all of these higher alien ra- races mm-hmm. have some issues. And whenever you point out a flaw in their reasoning, they're always just like, oh, you just don't you're, understand. You're a child. And it's like, first off, go fuck yourself. Yeah. Second off. You're like a Bible thumper who's only picking what he likes out of Leviticus. Yep. You don't get to take some of it, not all of it, and then tell me that I have a problem for pointing something out there. Mm-hmm. You, need, If you want to give me a legitimate reasoning or just explain your perspective, that's one thing. But just going, oh, you just don't understand. It's like, fuck you and your enlightenment, okay? But I appreciate <laughs> that Stargate doesn't, like, say that these people right. are right. Exactly. No, that's what I love is that because the humans never, like, go, oh, I guess you're right. They're always like, no, no, that's not, I'm not going we, to accept We may that. not be as advanced as you, but we understand this thing called the value of life, and we don't pick and choose. If we absolutely have to, it's one thing to have to sacrifice life if you have mm-hmm. to. It's another thing entirely to not even care from yeah. the beginning, from the get-go. Just be like, oh, well, we tried. It's like, bite me. <laughs> yeah. But I like how the show gives you the opportunity to go, uh, no, screw them. <sighs> uh-huh. Even the good guy, even the Nox. Screw them a little. Honestly, screw them. Yeah. I kind of hate them a little. Just oh, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so nice that you get to hide away and pretend that nothing yeah. matters. It's nice that you have the power to do right. that. Not everyone yeah. does. I'm not saying it's your responsibility to help and everybody, I like but I am saying it's your responsibility to at least not be a dick. We'll, we'll get into that when we get to that episode, but I do like that in that episode, SG1 even points out, yeah, it's all nice for you guys. You right. guys can hide. We yeah. can't do that. Right. You either get, You can either hide and never come out, or do what you did now and come out occasionally, and then cause this whole you know, um, moral argument mm-hmm. problem. You you don't get to pick and choose. No. You pick one and you stick with it. If that's your decision you think is right, fine. Awesome. I'm not, I have no place to tell you what to do. I can offer my opinion, but I cannot tell you what to do. That is all on you. You don't get to do tiny bits of both and just like, oh, it's not convenient right now to help, so I'm going to go back to yeah. my little hiding zone. It's like, idiots. Bite me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> if that is not the biggest point of arrogance, I don't know what is. So Jack and Teal travel for a bit, and then they find clear evidence of some sort of predator in the cave. Yeah, an animal, a wild animal, I think is what Teal called it. I like how he points out that you can see the bones, like, split and everything. Like, some people, they use, like, like teeth markings. Yeah. They're like, oh, it was eaten. This was split, which is, like, back to old caveman days. That's what we, that's what they used to do. Oh, they yeah. split the bones mm-hmm. up with the marrow and everything. Yep. So it's a degree of intelligence, obviously, to be able to hack open that thing. Mm-hmm. But definitely animalistic, since you gnawed on bones. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um... While they're traveling, at one point, Jack gets a little suspicious and um, tells Teal to test out the staff weapon, mm-hmm. and it doesn't work. And then Teal's like, oh, I guess weapons don't work in here. And then Jack tries out his gun, and it works just fine. And I love Teal's comment of, oh, they must have considered that too, um, not primitive. advanced. Primitive. They must have considered the gun too primitive to care about. I do love that that's a sci-fi thing in general, is that as soon as, apparently it's just acknowledged that even like for us one day, we're going to achieve, you know, technological advancements to the point of like energy weapons, right? And I like how everyone just assumes we're going to completely abandon projectile at that point. (laughs) Except for Starfinder. Yeah. The projectile force is still 
very effective uh-huh. in a lot of ways. I just, well, yeah. it, I just find it weird that There's... we just generally assume two things. We assume well, we're going to use holograms someday yeah. for everything, and we assume that as soon as we develop energy-based weapons that we're going to just completely abandon the others. It's like, no, no, they have efficacy still, guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll, um, we're already nerding it up because we're doing a Stargate podcast, so I'll nerd it even more and uh, reference Starfinder here for a minute. Starfinder has energy weapons, has projectile See? weapons, and the reason they have both is because armor penetrates differently for each of those types yeah, of weapons. Exactly. Something that is keyed in to keep out energy weapons will not be able to do the same thing to projectiles. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, it 100% makes sense. And I hope that's the future of uh, you know our, our technological advancements, that we're not going to just give one thing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, we discovered better ways of, of uh, travel. We discovered air travel. It doesn't mean we gave up the wheel. No. <laughs> it doesn't take away its useful ability. In fact, there's a wheel on the airplanes. <laughs> exactly. Like, I mean, the whole thing there is, you, you can use it still as a building block and still have it integrated mm. into whatever you're using. I love how I was searching for the word primitive, and it was literally in my notes. But heaven forbid I look down at my notes. <laughs> Weirdo. While they're still traveling. Uh, by the way, we there's a lot of, like, cutting in between these scenes between um, Sam and Daniel trying to find Teal'c and Jack and Teal'c and Jack trying to get out of the cave. And I kind of, kind of like um, the last episode where there were a lot of cutting between scenes. I'm, like, grouping a lot of oh, them yeah, together. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like, oh, they're, we're here for five minutes. And then we're here for two minutes. And then... Jack and Teal'c are continuing to try and find their way out. and uh, Find um, the, the Hall of Mo- Mohair. Mohair, yes. yeah. Because uh, Thor tells them to find the you know, Hall of... Which he pronounces it wrong. And Mjolnar. Me, Mjolnar. And was, I, went, I literally just said to the TV, nope. <laughs> just, <laughs> just nope. And then and it got better because Jack went, okay, let's go find this Hall of Mohair. Yeah, that's <laughs> a good line. And Teal'c just kind of stares at him for a minute and then they go. You can like practically see in Teal'c's head him going, you did not say mohair. Yeah. <laughs> and then wondering if it's another Lucy thing. Yes. That's why he didn't say it. He's like, this is probably like the Lucy. I will have to understand what mohair is. <laughs> Just imagining as they're going back through the gate at the end of this episode, as they're walking down the the ramp, Teal turning to Daniel and being like, what is the Hall of Mohair? <laughs> I am curious. And what is the Hall of Mohair? And Daniel being like, the what? <laughs> Just looking over and then doing that thing where he goes, ah. And this doesn't even respond. Just, nope, guy, I got nothing. Just, nope. <laughs> Sam, why don't you take this? <laughs> Just shrugs. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, while they're walking, Teal suggests that this place can be useful to Shade and Skoda to help them. Jack, you can tell, is like trying not to think about it too much because he's already thinking ahead to the fact that like, well, if we have to get you out, we can't depend on this place to still be useful at that point because we don't have them now. Like, what I really appreciate out of Jack in this whole episode is the fact that he doesn't do he honestly doesn't do a whole lot of talking in this episode. Yeah. He does a lot of like silent thinking about issues and a like pondering face. Yeah, thinking he thinks ahead a lot in this mm-hmm. where he's going this isn't going to last. We have to get you out. I'm not leaving you behind. We're going to have to break something to do that. So he doesn't bring up, oh, we might be able to fix Scotta with this. Because he's already thinking ahead to the fact that this probably isn't going to still be here when we have him. Yeah. Or even you know, even if it wasn't that, you can tell that mm-hmm. there's at least part of him going, dude, that's a great idea, but let's focus on the first step get, of get that. Get you out. We can't help them until we, you know, get ourselves out of here. So, um, you know, priorities. I do like that we cut back at this point and they're breaking uh, Kendra and Sam and Daniel are taking little breaks. They've been walking for a long time. Yeah, across some very nicely built uh, Roman-style mm. aqueducts at one point. Yeah. Which, 
Those looked really cool. Those looked really cool. I, I I feel like there was a different story idea originally presented that brought about their existence in this episode, and then that just didn't. I'm happy they were there. It was really no, cool it was, looking. I wasn't just it's like all right, that's an interesting. Because they choice. did they did a kind of like far back shot of all three of them and walking across. Daniel's the like aqueducts. hopping across them because yes, of course he is. he's a child. Of course the child is jumping back and forth while they're breaking for a little bit. Kendra actually tells them her story about how. Uh, she was a very beautiful child, which is considered a curse on her homeworld because all the beautiful children get taken as hosts for the gold, and that she used to be raised in the temple. And because of that, when she got taken and used as a host, she was able to keep some of her consciousness aware and awake the whole time that she was a host. And with that um, ability, she was able to manipulate and... Um, trick the gold inside of her into coming to this planet by saying oh it must be um forbidden to come here because there are great riches and and treasures weapons and powers yeah and so the gold because a lot of these gold are much younger and stupider than they like to pretend they are went through and got grabbed up by thor's hammer and she wandered around the cave for a little while she makes vague comments about there being something else in there. Didn't it I suggest like, that she never actually ran into it yeah, herself? Yeah, I'm guessing is what it was. I'm, I'm pretty sure that the... Uh, she probably found evidence of it there, but didn't. Yeah, um, She wait. lucked out. Uh, nothing found her on her yeah. Uh And then, you know, got out. Uh, so basically she's telling her whole story. It's just, it's a cool story. And I like that they don't just have her be this tool that leads them to the cave. Yeah. She's like a fleshed out character. Mm-hmm. And, like, they listen to her, they ask her questions, they want to know about her. We cut back to Jack and Teal'c in the cave, and they get attacked by an Unas. Unas! At this point, it's called the Unas. Yes. Because we don't know that there are more of them. It's referred to as, like, the first one, I think. I think it's called the first one. Yeah. Weird bit of trivia is, you know, obviously we've mentioned a couple times now, James Earl Jones voices Ruax, the Unas. What... I, this is what cracks me up, so I'm just going to read directly from it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, as in Star Wars, Jones provides the voice while a heftier actor provides the body in here of uh, this guy named uh, Vincent Hammond, who actually apparently played all of the Unas throughout the show. This guy is great. His body language oh, for this Unas is amazing. It was like sinuous, it's very, sinuous snake And like, he's clearly got some attitude yeah, he got some going on. Fingers, yeah, like, he's hello. excellent. And what I love, <laughs> James Earl Jones is a fucking professional because he, uh, he, Recorded afterwards. Yeah, yeah, post-production. And he clearly actually looked at the video of this guy. Well, I would hope so. And, like, <laughs> matched his intonation to the body language that was happening on the screen. Yeah, like, when he does, like, the whole, like, um, he's this little dance, but he's talking about, I know how to navigate the labyrinth. Yeah. And he, and James Earl Jones says, I can navigate the labyrinth. <laughs> yeah, he's got, like, this flair <laughs> like, to his voice. listen to me. It's great. Yeah. It's so wonderful that you've got that nice, yeah. someone brought some great body language to it, someone brought some great intonation to it, and then they paired it together, and it was just yeah. really good. Yeah. Go ahead with your trivia. Oh, yeah, no, uh, apparently Jones also voiced a character, I never actually saw this movie, I never I never got around to it, but now I kind of have to, knowing that he's in it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he um voiced uh, Tulsa plays, right? Tulsa Doom, the main antagonist of the 1982 movie Conan the Barbarian <laughs> with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And apparently, that's set in the land of Samaria. Spelled the same way and everything. So the planet's clearly named after that as a nice little homage mm-hmm. to Conan the Barbarian. It's which great. I just love that, man. I just, I love little meta homage everything. I love all that crap. So I thought it was really fun that that was a thing. And again, just 
points out again, they could have made a Lion King reference, I'm just saying, because they made a fucking Conan the Barbarian reference. Yeah, but Conan the Barbarian matches the um, genre better. I know, just, I would have killed for, like, a Simba moment or something. <laughs> no, they did those in uh, Tool Time. So, I love that he's, like, he basically decides, oh, Teal'c's a Jaffa, uh, that's a human, and he's like, oh, so... I'm I'm allowed to order you. I'm your god. I get to tell you what to do. Kill this human and we'll we'll eat him together. I like how this Jack's response to everything. Excuse me? <laughs> like, rude. I don't want to be eaten. That's rude. Uh, and then Teal's like, uh, no, I'm not I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> he, like, stares at me like, you do not exist. Which my resp- only response there is, and yet you're looking at him. And yet he clearly does exist. <laughs> That's Teal's whole go-to this whole episode. That's a myth. I just like how the guy's like, you know, Jafar, and then he's like, you do not exist. It's like, what? That's not helpful, Teal. Okay, moving on. Jack gets his gun ready. And, and then Unas is like, oh, weapons do not work. And in the middle of him telling Jack that weapons don't work here, Jack just sprays him with bullets. That's great. Projectile weapons, still useful. <laughs> <laughs> and it slumps against the wall. And, like, they check it, and it's, oh, it's that dead. uber dramatic moment where uh, Teal checks it is the first one. He's dead. I know. Like, 30 seconds ago, you were convinced it didn't exist, and now you're very smugly portraying it as dead. It's like, okay. Cool. (laughs) And then, a little while later, uh, they're talking about the legends of the Unas, and Teal'c says that, like, it evolved at the same time as the larva or something yeah the same primordial waters or yeah whatever crap which we'll see line. well we'll see the yeah. primordial waters no, I just, later i love it's it a, it's an interesting line i like that they took that line and went yep yep <laughs> yep that's that's canon now that's like that's that's the same kind of a kind of annoyance slash laziness i mean it couldn't plan out in advance but it's the same kind of laziness uh, potentially that uh, star wars did in that you know when you see ben kenobi with the way he's dressed he's supposed to be in hiding and yet that's just apparently George Lucas is like, no, but that's how all that's Jedi, Jedi dress. It's like, like well, how the fuck is he hiding then? Jesus. Know. Like, he's literally hiding in full regalia. Are you kidding me? That doesn't make any sense. No. Why would that be how the Jedi... Fine, whatever. <laughs> but it's like that kind of thing. Like, okay, cool. Well, he said primordial waters and we don't retcon anything ever in the show. Cough, cough. So yeah, they're all come from this swamp planet. <laughs> Again, though, they're all very snake-like. So it, it makes it sense. Does make yeah. sense. But it could have been Well, lazy. there's also the point that when we first see um, the Unas, uh, we don't even see all of it. We see, like, his hands his suddenly claw move. Foot. And it's near water. Right. So, like, it has this whole thing. Demon frogs. Yeah. <laughs> so they're, they're going along with that theme. You know what it is? It's like demon toads. Because there's, there's a horn toad yeah. that has a really similar horn look. Oh, yeah. The chin and everything. Yes. So mm-hmm. there you go. So, yeah. I, I, I can't really complain about it, but it does kind of feel like they said one thing in this one episode and later on they're like oh yeah no we totally got to hear that <laughs> but like teal is telling jack about like their legends and everything and he winds up comparing um the the unas to what he refers to as your vampire yeah like, like, the only real flaw of this episode is the dialogue in general just because of various some of it yeah very various little points but it's you know you know they carried the you know the gold and, he, and jack goes Oh, I thought that it, uh, humans were the preferred vessel. Like you just use the word "preferred." Yeah. That indicates there's more than one option. Mm-hmm. That line does not make sense. No. It, it that's a weirdly and then, incorrect sentence. And then Teal's continued insistence that right. everything's a myth because then like, like the regenerative powers. And then, well, no, because Jack goes, "It was dead, right? You checked." Yeah. And then Teal's like, "There are myths about its regenerative powers." Pause. But that is a myth. <laughs> it's like, 
Yeah, and a minute ago, you were convinced that Unas was a myth, and yet you were just presented with facts to the uh, to the contrary, and yet you're just sitting here going, but I still know this to be true. And it's what's so funny is that, like, you see them walking along, like, side by side for, honestly, like, at least a full minute afterwards, and, like, their exchange is literally, so you're sure it's a myth? Yes. Are you, are you positive it's a myth? Yes, it is a myth. And, like, I, I told you when we were watching it, I'm like, I'm waiting for the Unas to come flinging right? itself bodily at Teal'c from the side, yeah, like, like, the R-O-U-S. R-O-U-S is, I don't believe they exist. I was really expecting that to happen because the tone was exactly the same. Even the, like, even the sound design behind them walking felt the same, where there's a stillness to it suddenly. And hell, they're in a swamp. I mean, it's a cave versus a swamp, but swamp-like. Yeah, I was just waiting for it mossy i mean there's all that feel to it and there's two people talking about this just they, they've just been presented with the with uh proof that something mythological is not so mythological just like the fire swamp yep but this other thing involved totally a myth still mm-hmm. i don't think it exists come on man that was perfect yeah totally a missed opportunity um, but instead we cut back to, uh, the Daniel and Sam team, uh, where Daniel has decided to start telling Ken- Kendra about, um, how his wife was taken. And I love that, like, I don't know if this is credit to the writers or credit to just Michael Shanks or both, but every time they have Daniel talk about Shade to another uh, another race on another world or whatever. It happens to be women each time, but it's not oh, because they're women no. that he's talking to. It's just happens to be women that he's talking to. Yeah. But, like, every time he talks about her, it's so romantic. And not, like, a fanciful no. way, like, a, a, an imaginary... And not, yeah. like, you know, heart eyes. No, it's just... Rose-colored glasses You can glasses tell that he's, like, genuinely yeah. straightforward, just, like, deeply he's in love with her. straight up in love with her, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, there's so much respect and just love in his voice every time he talks about her and it's just really genuine sounding every time maybe that was helped along by the fact that he was actually dating her i don't know yeah, I'm, I'm assuming at this point they were already dating in real life because their kid was born i think if, if not in the late 90s then the very early yeah. nots so I, I didn't go too overboard no. with the wiki stalking i try to i try to i try to temper those impulses as much as possible <laughs> yeah exactly it's like at, where, at what point do you become a weirdo yeah like i feel like i've already crossed that weirdo line but i like to pretend it's being straddled mm-hmm. <laughs> not a dot in the distance um but then we come back to the cave again like this whole episode is just like five minutes here two minutes here five minutes here five minutes it's a lot of cutting back and forth but it doesn't feel like strained it, it, it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like an add child there's, going there's back and forth. real coherent exchanges at each scene that have clear ending points right. to their conversations. And all the cuts take over points where otherwise it'd be dead space. Yeah, exactly. So it makes sense. No, yeah, it's it's really well edited. They're necessary mm-hmm. moments of cutting. Yeah, like like you said in the beginning, I, I think this director did a really freaking good job. He knew when to linger, he knew when to cut away. Some really cool shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we cut back to the cave, and meanwhile, uh, while Jack and Teal'c are walking, suddenly you hear the Unas scream, because it is up. Yep, it's like, how's that myth going? <laughs> Oh yeah, well, I love. Um, it was uh, right before that though. You know, he's saying like, "Oh yeah." By the way, they were they were rumored to have you know uh, regenerative abilities. It's like my only my only note there was, and you're telling us this now after, after we've you've left. left it we could have like cut his head he off or something. Zombie land double tap that shit yeah. or something. But no, no. Now you tell us because <laughs> it's like way after they walked away that all of a sudden they pans back to the uh, Unas and his eyes start glowing, dude. <laughs> so yeah, then you hear a roar. And it's like oh. 
well, would you look at that? And basically, if this scene is literally just that, and then finding out that it's still alive and being like, well, I guess we gotta hurry. Yep. <laughs> so they're, they, they've got a, a bigger reason that they have to find the exit and find it now. Um, meanwhile, back at the other team, <laughs> um, Sam is starting to doubt Kendra. Yeah. I think it's been like all of an hour and she's already like, well, we haven't found it yet. We're done. Nope. Nothing. This is useless. Like, I don't know patience. how much time has passed. I, I, I would have to assume that, like, we don't see, like, the, the long stretches. Um, maybe the way she's leading them and the way she's traveling maybe is it seems very... Maybe meandering or something. Yeah. Maybe. Which I could understand if she was in that cave and she'd just been un-possessed um, and everything. I wouldn't be very coherent. I wouldn't have a clear memory of how to get mm. out. I had the feeling that it was less time passed solely because, like, with the aqueduct scene, it does serve one purpose, which it, it points out that they are following, like, a road-type yeah. system. Like, there's, like, a clear path yeah. put away there. And the aqueducts, it would make sense that they're um, taking water from, like, a like a lake, a high-up lake or something, like, in a mountain-type yeah. lake, where a cave system would be. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of figured that she was actually leading them pretty much in a straight line towards the destination. And so, to me, it felt like there was less time passing, which made me a little annoyed with Sam's immediate... Dismissal. Yeah. Well, what's annoying about because she's like really insistent on this this woman either uh is lying to us or delusional or, or delusional. Um and like there's one thing I like about her conversation with Daniel in the scene and then one thing I really don't like. I don't like the fact that she insists that this is pointless but doesn't offer another solution. I know, there's no concrete, not even, a, not even a hypothetical solution. She offers nothing. She, she like says, we're wasting time. It's like, okay, well, tell us where else we're going to find them. If you have a real suggestion about how else to find them, sure, we'll go do that. But she doesn't offer another right. way right. to find them. Right. This is their only lead right now. Whether it's a me- meandering path or not, are you really wasting time when you don't know where to find yeah. them? Like, worst case, you get to a cave system that turns out to be the wrong cave system, or you can see, like, evidence of her delusion from that point. Mm-hmm. But you have literally no evidence to the contrary no. right now that she's I just think not because she's, she's, like, she's the hard science person, she's not super down with how much Kendra's been yelling at the sky. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, honestly, I'm not the most, I am not the most patient person. Yeah. So I could see that. But even then... It just, it, it's just, it, it's further proof they didn't know exactly who she was. Yet. Yeah. Because it's not that she gives up so much, it's just, she's just like, well, we spent 30 minutes on this, clearly this isn't working, let's just do something entirely different now. It's like, okay, first, yeah. let's see this plan to fruition, then <laughs> But one thing I did actually really like about her conversation with Daniel here was where she compares um, people being possessed as, as hosts by the gold to an, a form of abuse. Well, yeah, but I like that they like <coughs> spell it out. Oh yeah, that she's like, no, she she experienced a form of abuse. She's traumatized. Like she doesn't even try and like at first she like says I think she's lying, but then she like changes her arc and says like, well, I think she's traumatized. I think she doesn't know that she's leading us. Why along. is there always a rape metaphor, and why is it always Sam that has to be the one that because points it out? Because season one wants to remind us that Sam is a woman. And apparently women are good for getting raped in some form or yeah. another. Honestly, like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Like, I would, I am the first person to tell you that life sucks right now for women. It's, we are not equal, and we no. are equal, but we're not, we're not, we're, we're not given even close to the same level of basic decency and respect. Yet, I don't walk around expecting a rape metaphor in every single no. thing I see. And yet, television writers seem to think that there's constant, myriad abuses happening literally in front of your face 
everywhere you go. It's like, we're not awash in sexual harassment, okay? It's not not present. And I would say 80% of our existence deals with it. But 80%. Not 100%. Not 95%. Sam should not have to constantly be verbalizing some example of this. It's like, ugh. What uh, I think makes it really frustrating is that later on in the Hathor episode, they don't note on the non-consensual side for the men at all. I know, I know. I like how when it's lack of consent, it only matters when it's women. Because it's all about, it's not about us having lack of consent, it's about us being reminded that we're less. Mm-hmm. But when it happens to men in these shows, it's, oh, they can shrug it off. Yeah. Or it's not as bad for them. It's not as horrifying. But, not only is that sexist to, to men, not only is that horrible to men when that kind of shit happens, when there's lack of consent, it, it, makes, it makes everything they go through less, and it makes everything that we go through more mm-hmm. like well it's because your women has hurt so much it's like oh go fuck yourself it drives me absolutely insane that sam has to <sighs> quote be this voice of reason for this kendra character thankfully she doesn't really have to yeah, do that for season one I know. it just it absolutely pisses me like off like i said that... season one is just all about hey hey you remember she's a girl guys you remember oh, she's a girl and did you did you know that hey did you know that we're all just victims at heart yeah and like... it even it even maintains that narrative with the fact that like kendra talks about how oh it was a curse to be beautiful on my home planet. Chill, please. We are never going to have any progress unless you stop hammering it home that we're all just victims. If we're not already a victim, it's because we're just waiting to become one. Mm-hmm. It bugs me that women are always used as a way to dismiss other women based on these yeah. things, too. Oh, that's that's the worst um evil is yeah. that they use other women to do it yeah so that's that's what really is so offensive about it, is that sam is this voice of reason because she's the one who's been calling out all the rape crap mm-hmm. and now is going well this terrible thing happened to her but so she's clearly fucked up from it so clearly she's not as reliable it's like okay uh, yeah i dude. liked that she's she a difference, difference between victim and survivor yeah. by the way too yeah i like that <sighs> she pointed out that it is a form of abuse i don't like that she used that as an explanation for this is why we can't trust her a negative she's thing. unreasonable she uses it as a negative this is why people this is why people like don't talk about these things because it's like a stigma against yeah. them mm-hmm. it's like, you had something happen to you therefore you're now less of a you're you're less you're not reliable you're not you're a victim forever now. You're traumatized forever now. You can't recover from yep. that. It, it's no different than, like, a, getting shot. It's a trauma. It's physically scarring. It's horrifying. No one likes getting shot. No one likes getting hurt. But you can overcome that. It happened, and you're never going to forget that, but you can overcome it. And it does not have to define you unless it's rape. Then it defines you for life. Yeah. And other women do not dismiss that in real life. Ton- I know tons of examples. But here, Sam, the... <sighs> yeah, that's that's the thing. I have to apologize to Catherine Powers in a broad stroke for like being like, oh god, she's writing episodes. No! I still don't forgive her for the way she writes Sam. No. Because she's probably the most egregious with this. No. And especially because like a minute later, she takes the abuse narrative and, and delivers it in a good way using Daniel. Mm-hmm. The part where from being told about, you know, being explained that or like just you know, having that discussion about this is clearly a form of abuse that she's experienced, she's traumatized, blah, 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 from Sam. When she finally finds the cave for them, and they're about to go in, Daniel makes a point of, you brought us here, you don't have to go in, you you got us here. Yeah, you did your part. Yeah. There's no reason that you have to relive some exactly. shittiness right now. And, like, he makes, like... You know, and not, just, like, in a condescending he, way, yeah, no, just no, in a he just says, way. Hey, just like you got us here, thank you, you did your part, you don't have to do yeah, any He's more. being compassionate. You don't have to experience this again. Yeah. Um, and again, in the same vein of 
that already being a good thing. Then she hears, you know, thundering up above and looks up. And I love the wording for her response to what she read Thor telling her. That she says, Thor asks that I try. There you go. It's really good wording there. Which is like, it's like, why did you have Sam have such a bad wording there earlier? But between Daniel and this thundering thing above, you have this really good wording where it's not just Thor says try. Thor asks Mm -hmm. that I try. And that she try. Mm -hmm. If she can't do it, fine. He asks that she try. That is the perfect presentation of it. Try. It's also another See if you can look into your uh, trauma and face it. But if you're not ready yet, that's fine too. Mm -hmm. It's another example of, um, you know, of, of sexism, honestly, because it's you can see it's internalized with you know with powers in this in the writing style here yeah. because she uses a woman to take away the power of another woman, but uses a ma- men to give her the, to power, give her back. the power back. It's like so women are powerful when they're helped by men mm-hmm. specifically. It's like we don't need to get our power from anybody, no. much less from men. Well, that's why I was saying earlier. With it's clear from Emancipation that she, from her writing style, clearly ascribes to that very distinct nineties. Feminism. It's like, oh, which was when, it's very, when they're allowed to be. Which was incredibly misinformed. No shit. Oh, God. It's, it also, I hate that vein of when we're allowed to be powerful, when we're allowed to be empowered, or when we're not, we're extra combative about it. Or that women are only strong if they can fight. Yes. That was a big other part. That was, that's one of my most First off, there's different definitions of strength. aspects of feminism yes. from the 90s. Oh, she's a strong, powerful woman because she can punch. Can she be a strong, powerful woman if she doesn't punch? Right? Right? You know what my power of making men go away is? I talk to them. Same. No, I don't even have to do that. I just I, have to pretend that... Well, I don't even pretend. I just have to not notice they exist. Right. Eric calls it my verbal shredding. Yes. Like if a guy... If a person pisses me... A person pisses me off. I, 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 the phrase I like to use is biting, the word. Because mm-hmm. it makes me sound like I'm less of a bitch. I'm... I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm if I don't like you, you're going to find out. <laughs> yeah. But I just, if I don't like how somebody's speaking to me, especially if it's a man being condescending and gross or whatever, in that specific kind of instance, I just make them go away by talking to them. Mm-hmm. Because they don't want to be around me anymore. You notice that there's a distinct lack of punching involved. Honestly, I, I, I can only imagine how laughable it would be if I tried to punch. Yeah. Because I cannot fight, I would not call myself a weak per- no. woman. I would not, a weak person, I would not call myself a weak woman, especially. Yeah. It's just, ugh. Hey, speaking of, you know who's a really strong woman in this one? Kendra. You know why? Because she used her mind mm-hmm. to slowly manipulate something that was taking over her yes. body. She manipulated it to its death. Mm-hmm. And she got she herself that. out of that situation. She, she got herself had out. firm opinions about Teal'c, but through reason, reason and, and conversation and, and, and empathy with the people he was, she was leading around, came to a different understanding. Mm-hmm. Because when she actually finally runs into Teal'c, she's actually very... She's not warm towards him, but she's, she's not. Light. She's not cold or yeah. She's not a bitch. And she basically, <laughs> she's not a she basically she's not a jerk. says, "Your friends." I don't remember exactly what she said, but but she basically indicates your friends have a lot of good things to say about you. I'm willing to give you the chance. Exactly. Yeah. It's like I'm glad you're not dead, if only because I've spent a lot of time with your friends and they seem to like you. Yeah. And I, at first, their opinion and didn't matter when, to me because I didn't know exactly. that, but now I know that. And when she was first told that they had a Jaffa friend, she's like, "Good, he should die." Right. Like so now like, their opinion has weight to her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Has merit. So she's willing. Yeah, she's not unreasonable. Lots of... It, having a snap judgment... Hell, having a judgment in general, snap or otherwise, is not necessarily a bad thing. As long as you are able and willing to reevaluate if necessary. Yeah, absolutely. That's what indicates strength, intelligence, so mm-hmm. on. And she's a great example of that. 
It's just annoying that Sam, yeah. the character who we know is not one dimensional whatever. Sam will get yeah. better. Yeah, she's honestly in these moments, even if I, I called uh, Kurt Russell a, a block of wood as O'Neill, yeah, like he's a nothing. Yeah. Right now, in those moments, Sam is a block of wood. She is one dimensional. Yeah. She is incapable. They don't of this know and that. who Sam is yet, and it's just ugh. It's just funny. It's it's more painful when it's presented like that in the face of another female character who is a person. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, dude, you have a one-off character who's fleshed out more in one episode than Sam is up to this mm-hmm. point. Oi. Amanda Tappy deserved better. She did. But she got it. She like, got better. She got She got it. But yeah, so she goes into the cave with them. Uh, meanwhile, on... Oh. <laughs> Basically, what winds up happening is at this point, you've got both people's and people in the cave, and all that separates them is a trick wall. <laughs> And it's so great because you see um, Sam and Daniel, and they found the wall that's supposed to get them through. And they're like, oh, it's definitely through this way. We just, and they're like shoving at the wall, like maybe we can like push it. Or... And it's so funny because it's you can tell it's set. clearly a set. Because if you're paying attention, you can see the wall moving when they're shoving at it. All they can make me think of is there's this one random episode in season five or whatever of Next Gen where uh, Picard and uh, Crusher, Wesley. Wesley, Wesley, there we go, Wesley, are, are uh, being contract some guy with a, with a ship to take them somewhere. Yeah. And, you know, naturally, because it's, you know, next gen, something yeah. happens, disaster strikes, ship's going down, everything's all, like, you know, shaky, the ship's getting all battered. Yeah. Well, means next to um, a door between this part of the shuttle and the next part of the, sh- of the ship. And uh, while the rattling's happening, the door starts sliding open, you can see it, and you can just see Will Means just, while he's still acting, he is still talking, and you just see him reach over and push the door shut again. That's so good! <laughs> nope. <laughs> just That's close. a professional. Right? Like, he That's just... a sign of a professional. And he was, he was a kid. I think it wasn't super obvious, but it was definitely obvious enough that I was like, dude, he just closed the door. Like, I like the set just falling apart or whatever. But he did it well enough that didn't, you know, they could re- you know, yeah. shoot a bit. It was that, that when the wall shook, that always, whenever that kind of stuff happens, it just reminds me of just, all I can see is hi- picture Will Wheaton just inserting himself into the scene just to go push the I wall I love back. Will Wheaton. <laughs> right? But uh, while they're trying to shove across it, Kendra, uh, like, remembers a, a prayer or something, a spell, a chant, I think it's, I don't remember exactly what her wording was. It's any and one of those. Pick one. Uh, and she, like, places her hands up against a wall where there are, like, handprints mm-hmm. and says, like, an incantation kind of thing. Like, it has nothing to do with the incantation. It has everything to do with the fact that it's There's pressure right pressure there. Pressure and, oh, and, yeah. and the fact that she doesn't something. have a gold in Right, her. like, it probably scanned her yeah. and then went from there. And then, like, the door slides open. <laughs> but meanwhile, on the other side, um, Teal'c and Jack have found their way out, but there's an arch between them. Actually. And despite the fact that, like, they already knew that Teal'c couldn't get out with the gold... And they have this very obvious arch. Jack's like, okay, let's go. And he, like, walks through, and then Teal follows and can't get through the arch. And he's clearly in a lot of pain and can't move. Yeah, and then so, Jack, once again, helpfully shouts, get out of there! Didn't work the first time, but sure, it'll work this time. And Jack has to shove him bodily out. Yep. Uh, just in time for the the Unas to yes. find them again. Yes. And Convenience is convenient. <laughs> and Teal's basically like, I will stay here and fight to the death. I'm not going to, like, fall. And, Teal- and Jack, and Teal clearly means, like, okay, Jack, you leave. You can leave. And Jack, like, checks his gun. One clip left. All right. I guess it's, there's worse ways to go. Like, he's like, I'm not leaving. <laughs> but um, I love that, like, while they're having, like, the standoff with the Unas, that Jack kind of, like, looks behind them at the gate that's right behind them, and it looks at... <laughs> Light bulb. <laughs> and it looks at Teal, and Teal's the one who speaks first, and what's his wording? What does he say? Oh, I can't remember. Nah. I was too busy laughing and going, light bulb. <laughs> but whatever, whatever Teal'c says, Jack has to respond by going, the phrase is, are you thinking what I'm thinking? 
So Teal'c had some Teal'c way of saying, are you thinking what I'm thinking? And Jack says, no, 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 this is what we say back on Earth. I couldn't take the time to do that. Yeah. That's great. But like, they don't even, but, but again, they have the time to do that because they don't explicitly say what the two are thinking. Yeah. They just look back. This episode is really good for um, telling you a lot visually. Hell yeah. No, it's, it's really good. Yeah. Where they, they just show something and you're like, oh, that's a thing. Uh, and they do the same thing here where... He it shows him looking back at it and then looking back at the Unas and then oh are you thinking what I'm thinking and as long as you've been paying attention up until now the audience should be able to think what they're thinking too and basically they try and trick it into going into the gate um and like they get it to where it's like right in front of the gate and Teal pulls out a freaking handgun and does that really dramatic like stepping forward face screwed up like shooting as he's it's funny it's great I've, I bet Christopher Judge was having fun in that right? scene but like, I have screen time for once but the Unas <laughs> is like just barely not going in and like they both run out of bullets and there's a pause like that would. <laughs> and then Teal's like fuck it and just like tackles him in the rest of the way it worked but, like, for Jack so far keeps most of himself out yeah um and they manage and and with it in the the arch Jack manages to get a hold of Teal and get him back out what little of him was in the arch and it dies in the arch just in time for um Sam and Daniel and Kendra to show up the rescue party god this scene is so upsetting because once again Michael Shanks and Richard Dean Anderson knock it out of the fucking park here. They reunite and everything, and Daniel, like, immediately starts talking to Jack. Like, he knows! And, he, and it's great because, like, there's a hint of, de- hint of desperation in his voice oh, already. Mm-hmm. Like, nobody has said anything Everybody about the already. hammer yet. Yeah. No, like, they obvious. met, and suddenly, like, oh, cool, you're all alive. And then suddenly, he's only talking to Jack, and there's desperation in his voice, and he's like, Jack, this could be used to help mm-hmm. Skada and Shade. And, like, all Jack does is stare at him. Yeah, Jack because he knows what anything. Jack was going to say, and he's just like, but, 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 but. And I don't remember any of the other stuff Jack Daniel says, but it's basically along the same sort of line. Like, no, this could really help, blah, blah, blah. And, like, he does it, like, three separate times, like, more desperation in his voice every time. And, like, the third time it cuts to him, and you can see that he's got, like, tears in his eyes yeah. while he's talking. And each time, Jack doesn't actually it's he answer. Because he doesn't have to. He knows that Daniel's just Cause hearing. He, yeah. It's it's because he knows that Daniel thinks that he's like hearing what Jack's going to say, but he's really just hearing his own conscience mm-hmm. telling him. He knows what he yeah. has to well, do. Well, it's great. It shows that easy, silent communication between them because Daniel already knows what Jack is going to tell him because he knows what before he, he even speaks. Yeah, but he still has to try. Yeah. He still has to try. And then... And it's not like he doesn't know that He already knows already all too. of Jack's answers to his arguments. So he keeps talking, despite the fact that Jack's not answering and is just staring at Daniel. And I think also part of why da- Jack is just staring at Daniel and not talking is because he doesn't want to have to break it to Daniel. Right. Also, he's letting him get through it. He's yeah. letting him come to the conclusion himself. Like, to have that catharsis. He's looking at him with that look of, like, you know what you're going to have yeah. to do. I don't need to say it. You know it. It'll be okay. Just... You get there out of your own time. And, and like, the big line, the big clincher line, though, is, like, uh, just, this could help them later. Yeah. And then all Jack says, Jack finally talks and answers Daniel after Daniel runs out of steam, and all he says is, but Teal'c is here now. Mm-hmm. And then Teal'c, MVP, just, just ready to throw himself on a grenade at any moment's notice. Dude, give him a sword and he will fall yes, on it. Yes, Absolutely. <laughs> 
and it was great delivery. Christopher Judge is not given much to do in season one until there's like, but he big works e- with what except he for has. the big episodes yeah. that he has. Yeah. But like he has the best intonation for this delivery. It's just really solemn, and he's not like he doesn't sound self sacrificing. He just has this tone where he's like, well, obviously I'm going to stay here. Yeah, it's not, it's not that he doesn't value his life. It's just that he values his friends he values others he made a choice in episode one that he was going to rebel against the gods that he was going to throw his lot in with these people he's taking that yeah to the extreme he's like no you are my people now you are my team a first prime has to be a good leader i'm no longer a first prime but i still ascribe to those values Mm -hmm. i have to make these choices and so when jack says Tilk's here now. Tilk goes, and here I will stay. Yeah. Basically, he's saying, I won't make you, you can sacrifice keep your me in here. We'll keep the hammer operational. Operational, and you guys go find Skada and Shade. As soon as Tilk says that, Daniel just gives up. He knows he can't. Yeah, exactly. He can't, he can't leave Tilk here. I like, can't leave this good person who's yeah, willing to do that. They're, they, haven't, behind. they haven't had the chance to really bond yet. It happens later, and it's really cute when it does. Yes. Um, but even then, just from that moment, he's just like, I can't leave him here. Yeah. And it, again, it's upsetting because, like, Jack hands the staff to Daniel to go past, because the staff doesn't work in the cave. Right. But the note, so if they, they cross through, yeah, mm-hmm. if they cross through, they can fire the staff at the arch from the other side. And Jack makes a point of handing the staff to Daniel. And it's really... Honestly, I really respect this choice, as upsetting as as it is for Daniel to have to be the one to destroy the hammer. It makes me think of um, uh, season three of Avatar, mm-hmm. the the arc with Zuko. Mm-hmm. A lot yeah, of people yeah. got mad at the fact that he like went back to Azula at the end of season two. But, like, it was important that that had to happen. Otherwise, he wouldn't know what he was missing. So that season three actually had some meaning to it because he chose to exactly. leave. Exactly. You have to know if what you're giving up. If he gone back with Azula, he still would have been this banished person who never had that choice to go back home. Because he be came back what if. home. He'd be asking mm-hmm. what if his whole life. Because he came back home and then, at that point, chose to leave it. He made a choice. He had resolve. Mm-hmm. If Daniel wasn't the one to destroy it, he would always have that little bit of a... There'd be no closure. Yeah, there'd be closure, and whether he wanted to or not, he'd always sort of blame whoever broke it. Yeah. And if and if whatever ha- ended up happening with Shari in that, in that alternate kind of timeline, he'd always wonder if... He'd always, like, Harvard would always be like, if I had done this, she could have been saved. Mm-hmm. He'll ta- he'd, he'd always have a vein of responsibility. Yeah. That even though rationally he'd be aware it wasn't his fault, it still be there. This way, it's different. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really good. It was it was the only real choice you had there. Exactly. Daniel has to be the one that that gets talked around to the point that no, it has to be destroyed. Daniel has to be the one to destroy it. It's like because yeah, Jack has Scotta and everything, and he's got that that you know replacement son with Scotta, but Daniel has his wife, and Scotta was like his little brother too. Mm-hmm. Whatever connection. Jack has with Scotta, and he has a good one. Yeah, but even if he only knew him for yeah, like two days, fleeting. it's a little fleeting. He still really it's cares a bond. about him. It's a bond. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Whatever's there, Daniel's overshadows it completely. So, like, it had to be Daniel. It's much more personal. For yeah, me. exactly. 
That's yeah. pretty much the end of the episode, really. Yeah, like, um, well, except he, for the fact he looks that... over and goes, at least now we know it can be done. Yes, I do like that, that he takes ever the optimist solace. Daniel. Takes some solace. Another that. great Daniel line, yeah. because it's like, it's this, granted he gets a little pessimistic as the seasons go on, but, but season one, reasonable. Daniel. No, I love, honestly, I love the progression of Daniel's arc. Yeah. It's upsetting yeah. when you look at it. It's like every time I watch, we watch um, early seasons of Supernatural, I'm always like, I miss season one D. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fun. He that was cornball. He was so happy. I know. He wasn't happy, but he was no. happier. Daniel was happier yeah. once. But I like the fact that he can find that seed of optimism. Uh-huh. At least we know it can happen. Mm-hmm. But to end on a slightly brighter note, they go back to the gate and they're about to leave. And then Daniel remembers, oh, the gift! <sighs> and he gets slightly excited again. Like he runs over and he finds it and he hands it over. And I do love that he like basically... Here's Spoil- a gift, except that it's not it's actually for, for you. It's for Thor, it's in not for you guys. In case Thor comes back. And I, it's like, dude, rude. <laughs> but, this, but the Sumerians are, are it doesn't even chill about them. it. They're like, yeah. Phase them. I mean, I, I think if any race on the planet would be understanding of it, it would be them, because they're like the, the installation for, yeah. for the Asgardians. Yeah. Like, obviously the Asgardians haven't actually been there in a while. Well, not obviously, but you can get that indication. But it's still, it is the place. It is the place that the gold were warned against. It is the place where there is a hammer set up to destroy gold. Like, it is, they are basically, that entire planet are acolytes mm-hmm. of the Asgardians. So, if anyone's going to be like, yeah, this is a gift for the Asgardians, that's fine. That's fine. We don't. <laughs> These people believe in literal gods. And yeah. think that they live among them almost in a way. So, so it's understandable. It's understandable that they're, they're emissaries in mm-hmm. a way. So of Absolutely. course, they, of course, they would pass this along mm-hmm. to their god. It's less offensive. It's so funny though. Yeah, it's, it was it's a great. Gift. Pause, pause, pause. So you can give it to Thor. Yeah, <laughs> like, that, but not that's for what you. made it funny. Was that <laughs> he's first like, here, here's a gift. I mean, not that for you. And then there's a pause. Give it to Thor. <laughs> the Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Yeah. <laughs> Daniel giveth, and Daniel taketh away. <laughs> But yeah, that's how the episode ends with yep. him getting to hand over that um that gift of friendship. Yep. Do Do you remember? Does that come back? Did the Asgardians yep. like reference it? Yeah. Uh, the Asgardians. Sorry, no. I, I'm talking about the box itself. Yeah. Um, the box. They, they use it with the Tokra. I just wanted to know if like there was any indication because I can't remember right now. I'm very tired. I have no um, idea. I have no memory of it. I'm trying to remember if the Asgardians ever give any indication they actually received it. I, <laughs> I hope so. so. It'd be really cute of him to be like, I liked the box. I did not understand it, but I liked it. Yeah, I got nothing. Yeah. So that is the episode. Um, nobody died. The first one died. <laughs> nobody on our team died. <laughs> Duke <laughs> almost did. Duke almost did couple times oh uh jack or daniel jack honestly again i'm gonna be incredibly predictable i have to be daniel because of how excited he was to talk about norse mythology i really 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 almost said daniel because of that but the majority of the episode involves different stuff and everything that jack was doing like in the cave and Uh everything that's i've been called cold-hearted for like you know being you know being able to separate that it's like Granted, I'm Spectrum, so I have a, yeah. a much easier time of it. I understand these are difficult decisions, but you gotta make them. Somebody's gotta do it. Mm-hmm. And it might as well be me, because if you can't handle it, then I'll do it. That's another thing I actually appreciated about that episode, is that, like, we split up the team in an interesting way, and the stories you got from both sides were completely different paths. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't have been able to, like, I wouldn't have dismissed Kendra's story or anything, but I wouldn't have had nearly as much of a personal connection to, like, everything that she was talking about, so I wouldn't have been a Daniel in that aspect. Yeah. But I would have been a Jack, definitely. 
when he got so excited about the Norse stuff, I was like, yeah. But this, up until the point where they went through the gate, I was Daniel, because that Sagan box, I lost yes. my shit when I found that that was, that was a thing. And I love Carl Sagan. Oh my god. I can, if I had a podcast dedicated just to that, I would go on. But I love Carl Sagan. Yeah. So that nerd out, nerding out shit, that would have been me all the way. Except as soon as I go through that gate, become damned. Nope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, I wouldn't. Have, I wouldn't have been like Daniel was like when they got scooped up at first. He's like, "They're dead. Chill. <laughs> you don't have all the facts. Chill." <laughs> like I have, I have chill problems as much as the next person, but that's not where I have my chill problems. I just like the fact that like it's clear even when they're on the planet that he's got some sort of investment in the mythology. Like the whole where he's waving at the sky with the Valkyries. And stuff. I would have done that too, though. That would have been hysterical. That's how I knew he was. Thanks, that's what he's guys. doing. I would have been like, "Oh my god, he's waving." I <laughs> if somebody told me that the Valkyrie told me, I'd be like. <laughs> on the off chance they're there you know it's like I know that ghosts don't exist yeah. when I'm alone I hear a creepy noise it doesn't stop me from looking around going sup guys you enjoying the show I mean I'm not doing anything it's kind of boring just in case there are ghosts that way later on I can be like well I mean I always knew <laughs> so yeah I'd be that person like waving at the mm-hmm. Valkyrie just in case <laughs> yeah on the Jack side of things like I don't find myself disagreeing with him at any point in time but I also don't really find myself empathizing with him oh, at no, any I was, point in the episode. He, 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 I, was, I was resonating with him more. So, that, that, that's really that's so surprising. So, once again, we're yeah. incredibly you say predictable. You're you say you're cripplingly uh, predictable. I clearly am the same. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Oh, uh, so, do we think this is a thumbs up? Thumbs yeah, down? Thumbs, thumbs up. up thumbs yeah. up. I would say this is a thumbs up. Even for as a Catherine Powers moment. Thumbs up yeah. for Catherine Powers. I still stand, there by, was... I stand by my complaints. Yeah. But thumbs up. Yeah, the thing is, like, I think I had, like, two major complaints. I had some, and they I had were, some major criticism, but other And they that, were all, like, minor things. Like, they were minor things in the in, scope in the face of, of the yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah no, no, they weren't minor problems, no. but they were minor in the face of the of And the they were 90s problems. Yeah, so. Um, um, but yeah, so, honestly, it's interesting, because Kevin Powers has a full scope right now. She's got one good episode, one meh episode, and one bad episode. I guess so, the next one will be that tiebreaker. Yeah. I think she's actually going to wind up doing pretty well. As long as she's not writing for Sam, I like her. Yeah, seriously. Just, just, That's the keep problem. Her, keep your mitts off. That man. is her weak point. Yeah. She cannot write for Sam. Yeah, just keep your mitts off. That's all I got. Which is unfortunate that we're saying the one female writer we've had in this show so far is the one who's the worst at writing Sam. That's really unfortunate. I'm just pleasantly surprised. If you told me the same person who wrote uh, Code of Honor from Next Gen wrote this, one of the most reviled episodes yeah. in all of sci-fi history, wrote this, I would have been, I would have laughed in your face. But now I'm like, okay. And you can see enough of her similar styles. You're like, wow, she really did. Yeah. Like, you can tell that mm-hmm. it's still her, but you can tell that she actually knows what she's doing. So it's like, all right, cool. Yeah, it's just so, you like, had after some emancipation, massive missteps, but... emancipation was so bad that, like, I couldn't believe that she would do a good episode. Yeah, honestly. And I... the brief candle, other than the fact that there were some very slow dull points... Uh, and all of the issues of consent, there were some actually really smart moments. Yeah. Not enough for me I to want to m- see her... like it enough to give it a thumbs yeah. up, no. but I, I would just like to see her write something that literally does not touch on the <laughs> issue of, of violation. Right. <laughs> yeah. Can can we just have that? So until yeah, I see she that, hasn't yet. Until I see that, Brief I'm going to stop being annoyed by and her. the little and even if she hadn't had that line about abuse. I know, it wouldn't have been in this one. They could have skirted that topic perfectly. Yeah. Not that they should have, like, overlooked it Yeah, as like, a, as I a still whole, appreciate the fact that she outlined... I think the issue... Okay, here's where, it's, where it was an issue. Hmm. The fact that she used that as an excuse for why Kendra wasn't reliable. Exactly! That's what I'm saying. It's just... 
If at any point in the episode she had just made the point, maybe, like, right before they're about to go into the cave, and, like, maybe, you know, this is how it would have been a perfect position for it. Right when they're about to go in the cave, and you see Kendra, like, hesitating right at the mouth. Yeah, that'd be a great time to bring up that trauma. And Sam makes a little aside to Daniel and says, you know, this is kind of like, that that is a form of abuse. Yeah, because that's acknowledgement without taking away her power. from her comment to him and his new awareness that is brought about by a woman who's observing this, him go, you don't have to go in. Yeah, that would make sense. That would have been a perfect placement for it. Yeah. Instead of that whole unnecessary plot line where it she's tears like... tears down another woman And honestly, we didn't need, There was zero point yeah. to that two minutes exactly. of her being like, why are we following her? She's unreliable. There's zero point no. to that two minutes. No, the only point of it was to point out that women are weak. Yeah. Great, thanks. I hadn't heard that before. Because that's... Yeah, <laughs> oh, good. Another time we need to be like, actually, no. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, other than that, yeah. that's really the big weak yeah. point of this episode. And it's frustrating. Yeah, it's too bad because it takes away a lot of my yeah. goodwill towards the episode. But, you know, whatever. But it's still a thumbs up. Mm-hmm. It's still definitely a yeah, thumbs up. It's, it's a not solid, even it's a, a solid middle. Episode. It's a solid episode. Yeah. Next week, we're going to... Uh, oh, this is a good one. Hmm. Next week is The Torments of Tantalus. Ooh, yes! Paul McGillian joins Heck the show. Yes. And then we see him, we won't see him again for oh. six years or whatever, but I'm still <laughs> excited. Hey, I loved him as Beckett in SGA, so Oh. I'm gonna love him in this one. Heck yeah. Even though it retcons <laughs> a lot of what we know about the uh Stargate. I do hate retconning sometimes. This episode is not a good example of good retconning, but I still love it. It's actually yeah. a great episode. I genuinely love it. Yeah. It's got a, a, a fun feel. So next week's Torment of Tantalus or Tantalus? I always said Tantalus. But, I don't know. Um, that's it for today, though. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, you can find me on Twitter at It's Mel, not Liss, and Liss at It's Liss, not Mel, or our podcast Twitter at Point of Origin PC. You can also email us at pointoforigincast at gmail.com, or write something on the side of a tissue box and toss it through the nearest wormhole. As always, you can find links to things we talked about during the show in the show notes. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Thank you for joining us on our incursion through the iris, and until next time. <laughs>